Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is the dream of the challenger to become champion. The crowning achievement in a lifetime of yearning. It is the dream of the champion to aspire to excellence. His legacy indelibly etched in the annals of time. Shawn Michaels, the confident challenger, a maverick who spits in the face of adversity. Bret Hart, a triumph of tenacity. The mighty ring general who stands in defiance of defeat. Tonight, for one illustrious hour in the Iron Man match, we will witness their passion, applaud their heroics, marvel at their gift to enthrall. Two craftsmen engaged in an extraordinary athletic event. Two men bound by the dream. After 60 grueling minutes, one man, exhausted, will have his arm raised high. The quest realized, the challenge overcome. One man, expended will breathe loneliness. Unwilling to surrender, he will have been stripped of the dream. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Mania Madness. I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt, and Mania Madness is our special, only exclusive to the Chairshot.com anthology series, breaking down the previous 36 iterations of the granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania, six at a time. Mania Madness is brought to you by the good folks at Chairshot Radio Network in conjunction with the Chairshot.com, reminding you all to always use your head. And for episode two, we're going to be breaking down Mania 7 through 12. And before I introduce our esteemed panel, I do have to remind everybody to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and pick up an official Chair Shot t-shirt. If you appreciate the content we provide day in and day out here at The Chair Shot, the best way to make sure we keep providing that content day in and day out here at The Chair Shot is by going to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and picking up an official Chair Shot t-shirt. Just peruse the site. You're going to find something you like, and I guarantee it. Remember, thechairshot.com. We're not just a website. We're a movement, folks. So, 
Joining me this evening to break down WrestleMania 7 through 12, my esteemed panel includes from the Attitude of Aggression and Bandwagon Nerds, Mr. Tom Hagen himself, the one, the only, Mr. Dave Ungar. How are you guys doing tonight? Thank you for having me back, and uh, let's make everyone an offer they can't refuse. I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it. That's how I should have said it. Shout out to Marlon Brando as well. It's it's such good shit. Yeah, Paisano. Let's go. This is such good shit. <laughs> also joining us this evening, I affectionately refer to him as B.O.B., a.k.a. Brother of Balls, Andrew Snowfake Blast, from the DWI podcast, as well as ShareShot contributor, the one, the only, Mr. A.J. Blast. And it's so good to be part of Mania Madness on this esteemed night. Nice, nice. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'm here... So y'all already know he's here. You know, my personal producer, the chair shot resident Platt Whisperer, the commissioner himself, Jack Tunney's nephew, Mr. PC Tunney. Gentlemen, it's always great to be back. Loving going through these manias. I, I just love the fact that I'm watching them all leading up to WrestleMania. I mean, I don't know if I'll do this every year, but I would say every couple of years, it's not a bad thing to do. Uh, enjoying some things that I've missed. Um, some things that I've forgotten about and, and can't wait to discuss it with you fellas. It's interesting going back and watching these manias with a, an adult eye. It's just interesting some of the things you pick up on. But before we get started, AJ, you're, I have you're, to ask you. You're, gonna, you're pissing Dave off when you say that. Yeah, well, man, I, I was an adult the first something. time. Now I'm just an old man. Fuck. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, Dave, I, too, am now an old man. So I'm right there with you, bro. I'm closer to you than I am, AJ. And speaking of how young AJ is, <laughs> I, I do have to ask you, because you are the youngest of us here on this panel this evening, what is your first mania memory? And when you think of the term or hear the term WrestleMania, what do you think of? Well, my very first WrestleMania memory is going to be one that we're going to do later on who knows maybe i might even be on it i know i've asked but we'll see how that goes is mania 20 where you know the earliest wrestlemania when i was eight years old so i got to watch that on my actual birthday watching it live and just like platt i was a wcw kid growing up because of andrew so when i saw eddie guerrero in a match when i saw benoit in the main event i'm like these are people that I actually know. Goldberg is in this too? Oh my gosh. But I know we're not talking about that. We're talking about the older ones. And hey, I actually watched and enjoyed some of that because I don't want everyone to start looking at their hair and noticing gray when I say this. But the last mania that we're going to touch on is actually when I was born. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Well, AJ Belance, thank you for joining us this evening. Yeah. You can uh, politely go fuck off. But uh, <laughs> in the span of two minutes, AJ says, he who shall not be named's name, and he insults the rest of us. Way to go, buddy. Thank you. It's what I, I do you, as though. a Belaz. I love you, though, but yeah, way to go. <laughs> yeah, typical Belaz fashion. That's what they do. Every, but, good, uh, <laughs> every good show has a heel. <laughs> fuck you and your damn youth. 
if I could Dorian Gray your ass, I'd do it right now. And somebody's going to get that reference and think it's funny. Clearly nobody on this podcast. All right, moving right along. So WrestleMania 7 through 12, this is an interesting time in WWF. They're going through somewhat of a transition. I mean, Hulkamania is dwindling, not just because at the box office it's not drawing like it did, but Hulk wants to go do movies at this particular point in time. So he's going by 9, Macho's going by 10, and by the time we get to 12, we've got Bret Hart, we've got Shawn Michaels, and I feel like we're fully cemented into what they dubbed as the new generation, which we also know what we're on the precipice of, and we're going to talk about that a little bit next week as well. Tony, you had some interesting thoughts, though, because you went back during this block and watched all of these manias as well. And one of the more interesting points that you made to me privately was talking about the evolution of the crowd. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's tons of different evolutions going on here uh, as far as the, the way characters are portrayed from between 7 and 12, the, the difference between having to be somebody and just being able to be yourself, um, the way the people's bodies were. Like, uh, you know, you, you don't really see some of the little more sloppy physiques that you that you would, you know, things get a little bit more tightened up that way from as opposed to the earlier WrestleManias. And then the crowd seems a lot more interactive. They're more actively being a fan of the show. You know, we, we getting more signs, we're getting more chance, we're getting more, you know, just participation in general. I don't know. Would you agree with a lot of that, Dave? Some of that. Yeah, I think, um, the fans are evolving for sure. They're becoming, <clears throat> you know, this this may have been when the uh, when the Smarks started to get born was during this phase in wrestling because now you've got you've got fans who are are smarter. They're not just going with the flow anymore. They're not just following what Vince is feeding them. That you know, you know, say your prayers, take your vitamins, train, believe in yourself, and everything will be fine. There's a lot more fans who aren't exactly buying what Vince is selling them anymore. And you see that evolve as, as he's come along. Um, and the fans, like you're saying, they get more interactive, they get more vocal. They, they are, they're not just rooting for the, the faces anymore. Do you see some smattering of heel love going on? So the fans are evolving into smarter fans and they're the precursor, of course, to the attitude era where everything gets turned around. So yeah, I agree with you that they're evolving in many ways during this block. And, and I think that's kind of, indicative of uh, what's happening with like Chris is saying Hulkamania is starting to go by the wayside they're looking for new people that they can latch onto, who they can gravitate to who they can get behind and you see that especially by the time we get to Wrestlemania 12 you see the full evolution take place and you know by 12 you know we're going to talk about it next week but by 12 they are really ready the fans are ready for a revolution and, and boy they're going to get it in the next block Oh, boy, you never lied about that, Dave. And one thing that Tony brought up, he talked about how the bodies, the bodies changed. And yes, they did get less flabby, but they also got a lot smaller as well. And, you know, don't step on it too much, gentlemen, but I, I do want your comments on that because we are going to get into that a little bit later on in the show. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're going to talk to the steroids later on, but... Um, I think that's that's the big thing is just kind of where that ends up evolving. Um, and, and it is just, you know, at, at some point it seems like Vince really, he loved the bigger guys, 
but he kind of at some point realizes, you know, these guys aren't the best workers. By the time you get to the point where Brett and Owen and Sean, uh, guys like that are taking over, he's really looking at work rate and what these guys can do in the ring and, and trying to use that as a mechanism to, you know, catch that lightning in a bottle the second time. Um, so, yeah, you see a definite evolution in, into, um, you know, let, 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 Bret Hart wasn't a small guy. Compared to Hulk, yeah, he's a small guy. Compared to Taker, he's a small guy. But he was in phenomenal shape. And from a cardiovascular standpoint, nobody could outwork Bret. So you do see that evolution from just the big guys who could work the crowd to the smaller guys who could work everything. Plus, you start with Mania 1 through 6, like we talked about last week, and everything that goes with it from from talent being involved in booking, right? And we know specifically who I'm talking about. And this is the period between 7 and 12 where Vince says, no, no, I'm done with that. It's, it's what I say. And then we're going to even get into that even more the first part of next episode because what happens between um, 13 and 14, right? I mean, but it's just, it's the beginning of Vince saying, I'm not gonna heal to what you want and even if i have to take a little bit of a dip for a while it's gonna benefit in the long run and and next week we're gonna totally see that 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 whole thing play out in spades in his favor most definitely most definitely and as a matter of fact let's just get into it we're gonna we're gonna start off here with wrestlemania 7 but before we do that we are gonna pay a couple of bills you're listening to mania madness on the chairshot.com Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always 
use your head. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Shot Network. I can't believe Tunny weaseled that bullshit into it, but whatever, whatever. We're here. Welcome back to Mania Madness. So, hey, while Heenan's still around, I had to weasel something in. So, okay, so we're we left off last week with Mania Six, and I talked about it. While at the time, I thought it was the biggest thing that had ever happened in the history of the universe. Ultimately, Mania 6, headlined by Hogan and Warrior, was somewhat of a disappointment at the box office. And obviously, WWF didn't see it that way or didn't anticipate seeing it that way because they were going to go next year to WrestleMania 7 at the day. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It was the uh, Los Angeles uh, Memorial Coliseum. Is that correct? That's correct. The home of the USC Trojans, a real shithole as far as uh, stadiums are concerned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, tell us tell how you, us really, how feel. you really feel. It's not wow. the Rose Bowl. It is not the Rose Bowl, guys. That's all I will say. So going into that, they thought that they were going to be able to break the WrestleMania three record and pack a hundred thousand people into that stadium. However, as we got closer and closer to WrestleMania seven, they clearly saw that wasn't going to happen. Now, if you believe Dave Meltzer, which take that with a grain of salt or take it for whatever it's worth, rather, who he says that out of the hundred. Yeah, out of the hundred thousand people that could possibly be in that stadium, WWF sold somewhere between ten thousand and fifteen thousand tickets for that particular show. So they had to switch venues. Now the WWF story is that, and we're going to get to this here momentarily, but there was a controversial storyline leading into WrestleMania Seven involving the real American hero, Mister GI Joe himself, Sergeant Slaughter, becoming an Iraqi sympathizer and this was right in the middle of operation desert i think it's desert shield i remember initially it was storm then it turned into shield or it was shield and it turned into storm but y'all know what i'm talking about we the were Persian, with Persian gulf war let's can, just call it yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be safe and call it that yes. can, can anybody besides dave and myself name the general that led that war for us schwarzkopf suck a dick but anyway, <laughs> that is full name Schwarzkopf suck a dick. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Boy, they, they, they kept that under wraps for a long time until they kept that under wraps for 30 years. Way to go, Platt. You just broke a fucking government secret. Oh, here comes DP to pick your ass up. You know, he's with them. Oh, jeez. You know, America, America always lies to us. Y'all know how that goes. But, <laughs> but the, the official WWF storyline and, and reasoning for switching venues was that they received some bomb threats because of their quote-unquote controversial yeah angle. So, Dave, real quick. So, obviously, the Warrior thing is champion. It totally flops. By Royal Rumble of that year, he loses the title to Sergeant Slaughter. Again, Mr. G.I. Joe, Mr. America, now turned Iraqi sympathizer, turned code on America. And we're setting up Hogan to defend America's honor versus Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, there's a um a mantra I want to start this episode off with for the kids out there. Kids, remember, this is before the internet. So a lot of what's going on 
you couldn't verify through 20 different dirt sheets and going to Google and saying, is this really going on? So nobody knows the truth about what happened with WrestleMania 7. From my perspective, living through it at the time, we all figured after Hogan dropped the title of the Warrior at 6 that they were going to do the rematch at, at 7. And they were going to do it at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. And there were a lot of people like me who were genuinely upset that Hulk had lost to Warrior and wanted to see him get the title back. And we thought, using modern parlance, he's going to get his win back. And they're going to do it at the Coliseum. And yeah, had they gone in that direction, maybe they could have got 100,000. I mean, Meltzer's talking they'd only sold ten to 15,000 tickets. When, Dave? What time frame are we talking about? Are you talking about a year out that they'd only sold ten to 15,000? Are you talking about three to four months before the event's going to go on. Because if you isolate statistical facts like that, yeah, you can spin that into any kind of position you want. Lawyers do that all the time. I, I know a little something about that. So that's my thing is like, okay, well, what time frame are you talking about, Dave? Um, I, I think that part of the problem was they realized that they weren't going to get Hogan and Warrior because Warrior's title reign was flopping. Uh, crowds were thinning out. People weren't gravitating towards Warrior. Warrior couldn't, capture and hold a crowd like Hulk could uh, and you you know like you know he had that match with Rick Rude at SummerSlam that steel cage match I mean if you can't get something great out of Rick Rude you're probably doing something wrong and Warrior couldn't do that so I think once they realized that look this rematch is not going to happen at least not right now um, there, I'm sure there were security concerns because the Gulf War was going on and they may have said look it's going to be a lot easier to control this environment at the L.A. sports arena than it would be at the Coliseum. So I have no doubt that that had a lot to do with it. But I, I think the big, biggest factor was Warrior flopped as a champion. Nobody was going to give a shit about Hulk and Warrior like we would have right after WrestleMania six, And they called an audible. So regardless of what happened, they did end up displaying the event from the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena. And AJ, I can't stress this enough how controversial this was at the time, considering that the United States was engaged in a war in Iraq. That being said, it's professional wrestling, and they've done this. This is tale as old as time, to paraphrase Beauty and the Beast. I mean, they always play on ethnic or, or racial, I don't want to say stereotypes because that's a negative connotation, but they've always, wrestling has always dealt in those areas. And I mean, the, the gimmick of the evil foreigner, that's always been around. I mean, hell, Fritz von Erich, that's how they started the whole von Erich dynasty. He was a goddamn Nazi, even though I don't even think he was German. But that they've always done this. But can you imagine them playing out this storyline in today's landscape? I mean, they still kind of throw some of the the racial stereotypes or, like... The, the latest one that I can think of off the top of my head was the Muhammad Hassan thing, and then that we all know how that went in 2005, 2006, whenever that happened, on how... Yeah, exactly, Tani. <laughs> Killed right away. We're not going to touch that. That's bad subject. But they still kind of pick at it from time to time. Every Everyone does, and for Seven, I feel like that since it was like, oh, there might be a bomb threat over at this Coliseum, we have to change our venue. They were probably going to try to pull more people in to make a publicity stunt to make sure that they could sell more tickets, that they can try to jam-pack more people, and, you know, we can watch this, we can make sure that we watch our American hero, Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, brother, we're going to 
we're going to stomp all those bad guys and we're going to make sure that America wins because we're the best. Hoorah, brother. But, again, it, it like we all said, it flopped. It got a tenth of what they really wanted. And, yeah, we, we play to the entire idea of, well, we're going to have, like, this negative thing where it's, you know, Iraqi sympathizer and Sergeant Slaughter, and now he's he's evil now, and he turns sides. It's basically G.I. Joe joining Cobra Command. Like, come on. it's Nowadays, we can see that it's like, all right, you just needed a heel for Hogan because we all love Hogan. But back then, like you guys said, we didn't have the internet to actually be like, is Sergeant Slaughter actually an Iraqi sympathizer? Oh. No, we actually had to hear it from the grapevine. We had to be like, I mean, he could, he could be. Maybe he's the one that did the bomb threat. Maybe he's the one that'll actually, like, like, like the bomb will stop Hogan or something. Oh, no, this is terrible. What will Hulk Hogan do? There, There's another factor I wanted to it – just, it just dawned on me, Chris, is that one thing that really screwed that main event up, which is why everybody remembers, you know, Warrior Savage, which I know we're going to talk about. You got to remember, the war was over by the time we got to WrestleMania. <laughs> so you've got this storyline wrapped around the Iraqi sympathizer – and we kicked Iraq's ass in like a month, and the war was over. So any heat you were going to get around that storyline was six months earlier when Sarge first turned heel and when he took the title from Warrior right oh, when the war they, started. They, so by the time you get to L.A., all the heat from that was gone. Nobody gave a fuck anymore, and, and it just fell. Yeah, great. Hulk won the title back. No one cared at that point. Go back and listen to the amount of heat that that Slaughter got at the Rumble when he was facing Warrior. It was ridiculous. It's one of the yeah. biggest heel pops for whatever was going on at that. I mean, in the history of wrestling, Absolutely. it's amazing. Sergeant Slaughter is one of the most underrated heels in the history of professional wrestling, without a freaking doubt. Absolutely. So, t- my bad, Dave. But Tony, real quick, we're the same age. So growing up, before. It- Sergeant Slaughter made his triumphant return to WWF. I had no idea this guy was a WWF legend. And you can go back on the network now, watch some of the stuff that he did at, at Madison Square Garden in the you know mid to late 70s. I had no clue. I knew him as the G.I. Joe guy, and I had access at the time to the AWA, Vern Gagne's territory. And he was basically the biggest baby face in the territory at that time. But we're talking early 90s. And that that was all I knew of him. So to have him come back on WWF television as this heel character, that was jarring to me. Yeah, just so everybody knows, like three months out of the year, you're you're older than I am. But yeah, I mean, Sergeant Slaughter is very Shut up. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter is very very underrated as as a performer and the persona. I mean, like you said, you guys have brought it up all the time. It's just it's it's just something that resonates regardless good or bad so he always has a place in wrestling you look at the funny thing is though we're looking at what wrestlemania 7 we're sitting there it's what 1991 and within five six years um triple h and Shawn michaels will be putting on face shields with windshield wipers on their face with him in the ring so it's crazy the evolution that his career goes from maybe like 85 to 96 97 it's such a fucking crazy run if you if you think about it in wrestling history it's one of the coolest evolutions of a character 
from good to bad to good and abused it's it's so funny in a good way and Dave, you, so you brought it up. You brought it up, Warrior and Savage. I, I think we can all come to an agreement that this is clearly the Warriors' best match. So just setting the table a little bit, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Warrior was champion going into Rumble of that year. Savage kept begging and begging and begging for a title shot. Sensational Sherry was literally willing to do anything, and I do mean anything, to get Macho King, because he's the Macho King right now, and she's Queen Sherry, a title shot, and she's literally on her knees, I believe, on the Brother Love show, pleading to Warrior, what do I need to do to get you, to get Macho King a title shot, and she says, and he says, thank you, no thank you, thank you. So, Macho gets pissed, hits Warrior in the head with the scepter, that sets up the WrestleMania 7 match, it becomes a retirement stipulation, and I, I, I gotta say, this is one of the, from the beginnings to the end where we see the reconciliation with Mach and Elizabeth. This is one of the more memorable mania moments, moments of all time. Would you not agree? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's top five. It, it may very well be, I mean, really this and, and the, um, the curtain call at 28 between triple H taker and Sean. I don't know if you get to bigger moments than that, than, than what you have here, which is, which is the culmination of the Macho Man storyline, which really started, like, yeah, I think, like, maybe WrestleMania 2, you could argue that. Certainly by 3, where he loses to Steamboat, the mega powers combining, exploding, and then, you know, this is the culmination. Him and Liz go their separate ways after 5. And then at 6, you know, she's kind of there with Dusty and Sweet Sapphire, but it's not until here at WrestleMania 7 where it all comes full circle. But as far as the match itself, Oh, by far, this is Ultimate Warrior's best match because he's in there with Macho Man. Like last week, we talked about how Hogan got a great match out of the Warrior. Macho got an even better match because Macho's 10 times the worker that Hulk is. And that precision, meticulous attention to detail that Savage does. You know, this match created, I mean, it really elevates the Warrior to legendary status, you know, not just because he wins, but he takes those five elbow drops, kicks out of that whole thing. Um, yeah, he's talking to his hands, and we can go on about how dumb as fuck that was. But uh, yeah. but the match is great. Uh, the commentary between Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, absolutely fantastic. And especially at the end where, you know, nobody can win. Whoever stays, stays. Whoever goes, goes. And right then, Macho pins Savage by putting a foot on his chest, and it's all over. Uh, the match is fantastic. The reconciliation is even better with, you know, people crying in the stands and just weeping openly and i mean it and it's just it's it's it is a love story wrapped around the wrestling i mean people who say that wrestling's not storytelling it's like dude watch this match if you only watch one match in your life watch this match tell me they're not telling a story there's the match there's the reconciliation there's the betrayal by sherry there's all that stuff and then there is the redemption of macho man at the end where it's just him in the ring like he holds the ropes open for liz helps her out then he has that moment with the crowd where he connects with them because this is, you know, whether Macho knew he was coming back, I'm pretty sure he did but he sells that moment so well where he's looking into the crowd they're giving him a massive ovation and he just looks at me and he says, I'm sorry apologizing to them for the last two years of bullshit he put them through with the mega power splitting up you don't get performances like that that was a master performance by one of the best of all time on the biggest stage that there is so yeah i can't say enough about that match 
I, you know, you brought up a very good point, Dave, in the fact that Macho Man is known for his preparation. Like, being a guy, like, I need to talk to you before we go out there and run down what we're going to do. And it showed. Because the Warrior was the guy who wasn't great in the ring. He wasn't necessarily knowing exactly what he wanted to do. And you best believe that Macho Man in this situation knows what it means and was all over Warrior's ass. And, and from everything I know, and you've told me, Dave, too, is that these guys were actually two guys that got along. So I feel like Warrior's probably back there going, yo, man, I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm ready to listen because I know how good you are and what kind of position you can put me in. Absolutely. No, yeah, that was well said. And Dave, you, you brought it up as well. The the story arc concerning Macho Man from WrestleMania 2 through WrestleMania 7. And just that little thing about him holding the rope up for Liz. Like when he came in, he was this, he was savage. Like his last name perfectly described him. He was a savage. Even the way he wrestled, whether he was a heel or a face, he would rake eyes and punch. And he was a wild man. He was unpredictable. But every time that he came into the ring, whether it be Elizabeth or whether it be Queen Sherry, they would always hold the rope open for him. So just that little itty-bitty bit, man, when they were leaving the ring at the end of seven after the reconciliation, and he holds the rope up for Liz. She just holds, a little. She, yeah, she tries to hold it open for him first, remember? And he waves her off and says, no, no, not this time. And he holds the rope up. I mean, that is tremendous storytelling. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. AJ, yeah. do you remember any of this? <laughs> Personally, no, but I didn't actually rewatch it. And, I mean, like you guys said before, like this is one of the top Mania moments where they still show it to this day, where it's the match is over, Macho lost after doing his most valiant effort, doing the five elbow drops on on the Ultimate Warrior, and, and, and he just came up short. And Sherry gets pissed. And then you see Liz hop the guardrail and take her on and push her off, and it's like, no, no. We we see the reconciliation of Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man, and that's played out the entire time. Like It's played out to this day of one of the greatest Mania moments. I'm not saying it's number one. It, I mean, it could be. It could be. It might as... But it is a very touching, sweet moment you can't really top it because it shows the entire thing of Macho Man where he's on cloud nine and like we said before Warrior's greatest match because Macho Man will make sure that he gets everything perfect it's said a million times that Macho Man was a perfectionist that he really wanted to capture the magic that he had at three with Steamboat and try to replicate it maybe even do it better and he just never could so with all that being said, you know, we, we make this real feel-good moment. And, yeah, it's not it's not Savage versus Steamboat, but it's still a moment in everyone's lives that who has watched this absolutely loves and will rewatch all the time. So real quick, just a couple of other points. I, I had to give props to Sherry Martell. I think she's really underrated in her contributions to the wrestling business. And one thing that I didn't pick up on as an adolescent watching her do what she does, but I pick up on it, it's very prevalent as an adult male, was the layer of sexuality and sensuality that she brought into the business. I mean, anytime it was a big match, them things was thinging. They were out and they were thinging. She would have her ass out. And there was just a, a layer of sexuality 
that as a kid I didn't even pick up on at the time. Absolutely, man. She, <laughs> whereas Liz was always the lady, you know, Liz was always the mirror. She, okay, let, if we're comparing looks, there's Liz at a, at a 10 and Sherry eh, five, you know, we'll be, we'll be generous and call it a five, six. But as far as sexuality and portraying that and using that to her advantage, in any incarnation of sensational Sherry or just Sherry. Yeah. She had it going on. Yeah. So you want your Liz in the streets and a Sherry in the sheets. Is that fair to say? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, well, take I mean, we'll take Liz too. You know, it's <laughs> well, yeah, always take Liz, but I mean, remember when, when Liz like tore off the skirt and it was the half skirt. I don't remember exactly when Summer it was. Slam 88. I knew someone was going to correct me and tell me when, but Ooh, like everyone stumping the trivia master for once. Wow. <laughs> I know, right? The trivia trickster got tricked on his own thing, but like that, that, that was the thing though, where it was, you know, she tore it off. She had like the shorter skirt on for the mega powers and everyone was shocked. Everyone was surprised that she went into more of a sexual route than the lady that always has the long, nice dresses that always matches macho. It was different, and, and everyone was like, "Oh, wow!" So, like to to so, your point, where it was you know Sherry was more sexualized. She she had her bits out. She knew she knew what sold. So one more thing before we move on. There's one more noteworthy thing about WrestleMania Seven, and Tony, please fact check me if I'm incorrect here. But I believe that WrestleMania 7 also marked the WrestleMania debut of The Undertaker as he defeated Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And, of course, that's going to become a bigger deal as we get down the road here in our WrestleMania Madness Rewind, right? So moving right along, WrestleMania 8. Hold on. Before we leave 7, you can't forget the blindfold match. Oh, the blindfold match? Oh, Heart Foundation, too. Yeah. But... The blindfold match. Yeah, it's Heart Foundation's last match as a team, but the blindfold match. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what you want to say about it. That that's the one of the weirdest matches in WrestleMania history. I loved that match as a kid, and then when I watched it back, I forgot that you could see the netting when they put the mask on Jake Roberts' eyes. So yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, but the but crowd, it, like you were talking about, the crowd earlier. The crowd is good in that match because they're really helping Jake find Rick, you know, as much, I mean, yeah, he could see him anyway, but you, you could see their interaction with that whole thing. And that was a good storyline with Martel spraying the arrogance and Jake Roberts. eye and the bullshit contact and all that stuff. So I just, I remember no, that at the last minute. That I, was a fun. I, I just want to say this one last thing really quick, because besides the crowd doing what they, how much they were into the end of the macho man match, people forget how behind the crowd they were or how behind Virgil the crowd was in that matchup that was so red hot he was he was probably the second biggest face on that entire card i think he was loved more than hogan on that on that card and i'll stand by that there there's a joke i have there but i'm not gonna say it (laughs) about why everybody was so behind virgil but shout out to Virgil at WrestleMania 7 getting his freedom papers, and I'll just leave it at that. So moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> moving right along. So WrestleMania 8. Gentlemen, business indeed started to pick up. So Ric Flair 
he has a fallout with Jim Hurd, who at the time was the president of WCW. From all accounts, Jim Hurd seemed like a decent guy. I just didn't know shit about the wrestling business. As R. a matter of fact, I think he came from the pizza business. R.I.P. R. Is that R. what you're going to say? R.I.P. Jim Crockett Jr. on the WCW side of the game. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Jim Crockett Jr. Yeah, we, we should have started with that. I, I, I apologize. But R.I.P. Jim Crockett Jr. So Jim Hurd is the head of talent at WCW. Him and Flair don't get along. As a matter of fact, the reports are he wants to shave Flair's head and turn him into some sort of Spartacus-type gimmick, and it's Ric Flair. That just sounds goofy. So that being said, Ric Flair leaves WCW. He signs with WWF in August of 91. With Dick Gold. Yeah, you you, you got right to it. So I know you guys remember (laughs) Primetime Wrestling, Monday nights. Bobby Heenan kept talking about, well, I'm going to bring the real world champion. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Big Gold debuts on Primetime Wrestling, which caused a little bit of a, a kerfuffle, if you will. I know WCW, they went to court and sued and got an injunction so they couldn't show the belt on TV. On Ric Flair's side, he says he owned the belt because he paid the $25,000 deposit to get the belt and they never paid him back, so I'm going to do with it what I want. Ultimately, WCW wins in court, and from then on out, anytime they showed Big Goldie, it was always computer digitalized out, so you couldn't really see what it was. But at the time, Dave, we're all thinking the same thing, right? We're about to get Flair and Hogan at WrestleMania 8. And the dream match. The dream match. And AJ, you, you look like you wanted to say something, man. Go ahead and get in here real quick before I no, finish up. No, you got my hopes up. That's all because you said Hogan versus Flair, and this was the dream match. Yeah, that's that's we they got all our hopes up, AJ. Ultimately, that's not what happens. They build WrestleMania eight as a double main event with Flair and Savage fighting for the title, and Hogan and we'll just say Sid, whether it's Vicious Justice or Psycho, we'll just say Sid. Softball. So Dave, softball Sid. So, softball Sid. Whether it's uh yeah, whether it's Justice, Vicious, Psycho, or softball, we just talking about Sid. I'm Dave, half the man that you are, and you have half the brain that I do. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that, <sighs> that's why that that's why that match sucks so much. But I so I personally I've heard a million story, different stories as to why Flair and Hogan didn't happen at WrestleMania eight. I've heard that when they took that match, Hogan and Flair on the house show loop, it didn't sell or didn't draw very well. I've heard that in order for Sid to sign with WWF, Vince promised him the main event shot versus Hogan. And I've also heard that Hogan was very serious about retiring after WrestleMania 8 and going to do movies, and they didn't want him to go out on a loss. So what's what say you? Was it one of these? Was it none of these? Was it a combination of all? Why didn't we get the dream match, the wet dream match that we all wanted to see and was the most obvious path? Um, I'd say all of the above. But I would say a lot of it has to do with uh, it's time. Again, kids, remember, there's no Internet in 1992. So or the latter part of 91 going into 92. But you you have to look at this from a geographic standpoint of where NWA slash WCW and WWF were mostly situated. I lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And, and and this ties into this Great American Bash 1991 was supposed to be Ric Flair versus Lex Luger for the title. Flair has his falling out with Jim Hurd. He bails out of the NWA. 
So they have to call an audible. And I was at the Great American Bash in 90 and 91 because it's in Baltimore, which is 40 miles away from Washington, D.C. So they call an audible. They have Lex Luger take on Barry Windham. This is when Lex hooks up with Harley Race, starts using the PAL driver as his finisher. Lex breaks through and wins the title. The crowd in Baltimore that night was chanting all night long, we want Flair. We want Flair. We want Flair. So Flair's a big deal in Baltimore, in D.C., going south. They, when he comes to WWF, there are people like me who knew all about the NWA, knew all about the WWF. We were absolutely thrilled about this whole thing. It's like, yeah, we're going to get the dream match. But when you look at where they did start running those house shows, places like New York, Boston, WWF hotbeds, a lot of the fans who were going to Madison Square Garden, going to the Boston Garden back then, didn't really know who what who Ric Flair was or what's the fucking big deal about this guy. So it didn't do that well on the house show circuit. And I think that kind of got Vince thinking, maybe this isn't the big deal that I think it is. Maybe it's maybe my fan base doesn't really give a shit about Ric Flair. Maybe they're just looking at this. I mean, and if you if you don't know who Ric Flair is, and this is 1991, 92, you're a WWF fan. You look at Hulk Hogan, who's three times Ric Flair's size, and you're saying, this guy can't beat Hulk Hogan. What the fuck are you talking about? So I think that had a lot to do with it. It, it still didn't stop Vince from putting the belt on him, though. And, and, and it makes you think that Flair had some sort of agreement with Vince that he was going to get the title heading into WrestleMania somehow, some way, which, of course, leads to the greatest Royal Rumble in history, in my opinion. But I, I oh, think that... With, without question. Yeah. It'd be just a Hall of Fame cast with of a tear in his eye. That's right. The yeah, greatest moment of his life. With and, and and it was it was PC Tunney's uncle Jack Poonslayer Tunney who was passing out the title <laughs> to Ric Flair in the locker room there. So, uh, you know, it's a family was, nickname, was... by the way. It's a very much a family <laughs> nickname. The PC's right there with it, you know. So, uh, but I I think I think that had a lot to do with it, and for some reason Vince just thought. You know, Vince makes Vince made a lot of great decisions during this time frame. This is one I wonder if you asked him and say, hey, man, do you think you should have gone with Hogan Flair after all? I wonder what he would say now. I mean, he got a great match out of Flair and Savage that we're going to talk about and a shit show between Hogan and Justice. But, you know, I don't I'm not I, I'm not sure what the real reason is, Chris. They're they're still debating it. I see it on YouTube just the other day. The real reason we didn't get Hogan Flair at WrestleMania 8 no one knows for sure it's a combination of a lot of factors it ultimately comes down to vince saying i don't think this is going to go over as well as i thought it was and it's, he pulled the plug on it it's funny watching this stuff back the question comes up in your mind a lot like w what would vince do differently to do it over again knowing what you know is happening in the future um and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to 13 next episode but yeah and, and don't forget though they did. They went so far as to tease this match happening. When Flair won the title, they had that press conference where they had all the contenders yep. lined up. Yep. There was Macho. There was Hulk. There was Sid. There was a couple yes. other people. And Hulk got the shot. Yeah. And Savage acted, ah, oh, damn it. you know. And Sid was seething. And he attacks Hogan, and that's what sets that whole thing up. So Vince did dangle that carrot out there. So I don't know what happened at that point, why he would maybe, go down that path. Maybe he wanted to see if enough people were going to be like, no, we wanted the Hogan and Flair thing, and nobody said anything it, after Vicious it, attacked him and they've switched it, cards, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But but I think that's important to keep in mind is that they did have that match set for WrestleMania 8. It, was, it, was, it had not been formally announced, but it was set. 
It was Hogan Flair. He got the call by your uncle Jack Tunney to say, yeah, it's going to be Hogan Flair. And and they audibled away from that one as well. So well, I, that's an interesting point. Maybe this is an appropriate time then to tell you everybody what PC stands for. Uncle Jack was the Poon Slayer. I am the Poon Collector, Tony. Here you go. I knew no, there, the I knew it ran into no, 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 no. He misspoke, Dave. He's the Pussy Collector because he has two cats at the crib. Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Poon Collector. That that just that enhances his reputation, Chris. The other one, not so much. Yeah, well, I, I knew what I was saying, Dave. But, both are both are but, true. <laughs> But real quick, man, go out of your way to go watch that press conference that Dave just alluded to where they announced who was going to face Ric Flair for the title at WrestleMania 8. If for no other reason, pan to your far left corner because you've got all the big stars there. Hogan's there, Savage, Sid. And then all the way in the far left corner, you have Undertaker in full Undertaker regalia with the hat and the dishwashing rubber gloves and shit. Just sitting there, just so stoic, stoic like a motherfucker, man. I don't know why it just pops me every time I see it. I rewound it back like two or three times, just laughing at it. So well, go back he had and watch to wear that. those. Come on, we all know he had to wear those because of the soup bones that he had. No. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So <laughs> I'm actually I... showing that I paid attention. To I know that yeah. I watched back. Man. I feel attacked. <laughs> I, hey, AJ, one of these weeks, Platt will decide you're not a rookie anymore. I don't know when it is and what time schedule he's on, but he's, like, I feel I've like he's still... I've yeah, for a year almost. He's still hazing, yeah, he's man, still hazing you, brother. Jaeger, he's still hazing you. Jaegermeister while he's recording. He's, he's got to be all right. Exactly. You know what, AJ? I apologize, man. It's residual blast heat. It yeah, has nothing to do with you. I just feel like if oh, you're no, I don't blast, blame you at all. <laughs> I just feel like it's it's just instinctual. Like a mama bear saving her cubs. When I see a blast on the line, I I have to attack and pounce, man. It's not personal. Tree, please trust and believe. It ain't personal. Oh, I know. Uh, at, the, at the sake of making all, all's fair in love and podcasting. <laughs> I want that bear that ate seventy pounds of cocaine that Elizabeth Banks is going to do a movie on. Anyway, touche. That should be a six-part anthology series. That might be our next six-part anthology series about that bear that ate seventy pounds of cocaine. Shout out to that bear, by the way. So, <laughs> a half an hour later, know. one quarter of the trout supply in the in Alaska was gone. <laughs> Just imagine a bear on cocaine. That's oh that's unfucking real to even think about. You know, they, they talk Stu Hart talks about wrestling bears. Why don't you wrestle that bear, Stu? Uh, how about no? I'm pretty sure that bear became like the most deadliest predator in the entire fucking world. Now I know what happened because Stu was scheduled to wrestle that bear, and Teddy was pissed at Stu. So Teddy's definitely the one. It makes sense, doesn't it? He with the bear, Teddy. Anyway, Platt, bring us back to WrestleMania. On the mini eight. <laughs> I've got a great Teddy Hart story that I can never tell on the air. If y'all, if I remember, I'll, I'll, it's I'll good. tell y'all off air. Yeah, Tunney's already heard it. So WrestleMania eight goes down. It's in Indianapolis in the Hoosier Dome, I believe. We don't get Flair and Hogan, but we do get a damn good Flair versus Macho Man Randy Savage match. And going back and watching this match, I forgot how good it was and just how much I enjoyed it because going in. It's they were hot for much. 
uh, for Macho. They were kind of lukewarm for Ric Flair, but about halfway through that match, they had that crowd eating out the palm of their hands. And the story that they told in that match, it was so frenetic and everything that was going on. You know, we, we, Tony, we talk about Taker and Sean, we talk about Brett and Austin, we talk about Savage and Steamboat, and rightfully so. But I feel like this match, while it might not be as good as those matches I just named, it's right up there with them. Why is this match not talked about in those rarefied airs of great WrestleMania matches? Because personally, I believe it belongs. I think everybody thinks about this run with Ric Flair and they only think about the Royal Rumble. And I think everybody forgets that this title was defended at WrestleMania. And it's another one of those things like, what would Vince do over again? He definitely would say, sorry, Sid, go work for WCW for the rest of your career. I broke your contract. I'm putting the title last and Hogan, go fuck yourself. But that's just not what happens, right? It's just the hand that's... the. Let's put it this way. It's the he's not changing horses yet, right? The money's still coming in, so that's the problem with that. I wonder if it wasn't all because Hogan and just was like, well, there's no way Flair's coming in fucking main eventing WrestleMania while I'm still here. You just got to be off your fucking rocker. That might be the case too. And Dave, number one, it's kind of weird going back and seeing Ric Flair in the WWF at this time. And, I mean, he, he he was there for a good time, but not necessarily a long time. So, again, he starts in August of 91. By 93, he's out, making his last televised appearance on January 25th in 93. He lost a Loser Leaves Town match on Raw to Mr. First, Perfect. And the he's, first ever Raw. And he's was, right back in WCW. Yes, sir. Yeah, it was the first ever Raw that he him and Perfect uh, had that match where he lost and. And yeah, I mean Flair's run in, uh, and I, I, you know, it's like we keep talking about like stuff like if we could, if I could sit down with Vince and ask him, it's like I'd say, did you really realize what you had with Ric Flair when he was there that first time? And I think Vince would say no, probably like you know where you would ask Vince, should you have signed AJ Styles three years before you did? He'd say absolutely, I should have. Um, I don't think Vince really understood what was so great about Ric Flair. Um, the match with Macho at WrestleMania 8 is, is excellent, no doubt about that. I, you know, if there's anything wrong with it, I mean, in these guys, and it was their first meeting that they had, and they would have other matches that would go along, and this feud between them would go on for a while, and they had some really good matches along the way. Uh, like, we talked about it numerous times. Macho's attention to detail was not necessarily Rick's strong suit, <laughs> and that, that might be putting it mildly. Rick like to call it in the ring. Rick was very formulaic in his matches. Randy liked to mix things up and, and do some things differently. Those two styles aren't always going to mesh, even though these are two of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time in the ring at the same time. Um, Flair's blade job, you know, we could talk about he ends up getting fined for that. But I, it's it's an excellent match. The, the story that they told going into it was great with Rick said she was mine before she was yours, Randy. So, you know, the whole thing, and they pushed that hot button for Randy. That had to hit him, not just kayfabe, but we all know how Randy was about Elizabeth. So that had to push some real-life buttons that got him going. And you, you see it in the match. It, there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of personal stuff. I, I love the ending because I didn't think that Randy Savage would ever hold the WWF championship again. Um, and after his great run at from four to five, so I was thrilled with it. 
you know, it's it's top 10 WrestleMania matches of all time. I think you could safely say that. Would I put it in the upper echelon with the Sean Taker, Savage Steamboat, Austin um, Hart, or Owen versus Brett that we're going to talk about? Probably not. But it, it's a damn good match in its own right, sure. Chris appears to be frozen right now, so Dude, let me... He's frozen in time. Oh, wait, there, there you go. There you go. Go ahead, Chris. He's blinking. I thought he was he wait. was going Dexter Loomis on us and not blinking or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little technical glitch in the Matrix. But, AJ, AJ, what say you, sir? I mean, like everyone said, this was a great match. We wouldn't have expected Randy to act the title again, especially after literally the year before he had a retirement match I know that we had a bunch of stuff leading up to it and the Hulk thing we all know now how Hulk is I know back then it was oh well he he's the hero he needs to be the the guy who's always the the star the main event the the, the guy that always shines the brightest but I know nowadays it's like yeah he kind of thought he needed and wanted that spotlight all the time and no one else would ever touch that in a million years who the fuck is this rick flair guy just coming out of nowhere coming up from freaking wcw jim crockett promotions who the heck is this jabroni but so so hogan and sid that is the main event and obviously we all wanted it to be flair and hogan but if you go back and watch this event that crowd in Indianapolis that night, they were crazy as cat shit for that match. Like, the match was, you know, 10 pounds of shit in a 5-pound bag, but the crowd was hot for it. Leading up to the botch finish where Papa Shango missed his cue and came down too late and Sid had to kick out of the leg drop and all of that, and then we get the Warrior return, but they were hot for it, for, for what that's worth. Yeah, I, all right, I think... Cool. <laughs> no, go ahead. I think, I think a lot of it had to do, like you were saying, there was a real, I mean, they, they had that interview with Vince and Hulk Hogan that they did where, you know, he was thanking Hulkamania, and, and Vince really sold it, you know, if this is really it on behalf of me and all your Hulkamaniacs, thank you, and all this shit. And Hulk was, you know, I mean, genuinely kind of made you think this might be it. And so, yeah, people were interested in that. And this is back before, again, kids, before the internet, this is back before you realized that, all these guys go out on their back when they're doing the honors. So in that respect, looking back now, had you known that back then, that crowd might have even been even hotter for this match, thinking that, wow, if this is really Hulk's last match, Sid's going to get the honors in this thing. And boy, is that going to suck. So I, I think yeah, they, they were just some genuine concern that this was going to be Hulk's last match. Nobody wanted to see him go out a loser. There was a lot of people who were emotionally invested in the whole thing. And then, yeah, you get the ultimate warrior return at the end because Warrior had been gone since he chased Adnan and Slaughter to the back, or Adnan and Mustafa to the back at SummerSlam. And, yeah, without any internet, no one knew where Warrior was. He was just gone. No one knew what was going on. No one knew he was, he hijacked Vince for all this money at SummerSlam, and Vince paid him and then fired his ass. Nobody knew that was going on. So when he actually returns, and that crowd loses their mind, and yes, he was a much um, smaller version of the Ultimate Warrior, but... Still, he it helped him get down that ramp a lot quicker, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Touche. Uh, one, one more thing we have to touch on real quick before we move on is the Intercontinental title match of that evening, which is Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper 
damn good match, one of Hot Rod's best matches, with a finish that went on to basically be canon in WWE. I mean, they still repeat that finish, to quote Deontay Wilder, to this day. But the great thing about it is it also starts the ascent of Bret Hart from Tad Team Specialist to Mid-Carter Extraordinaire, and by nine, full-fledged main eventer. Yeah. Let me let me ask AJ a question here because the great part about this match is before it you have an interview with Mean Gene between Brett and Roddy and Roddy totally plays the older brother messing with the younger brother Brett you know we used to come up to the dungeon get the bologna sandwiches with one piece on it old poopy pants Brett rubs his hair backs away AJ this is perfect for you to comment and you know exactly what I'm talking about you're the younger brother you have the older brother you guys work in the same business that the business that we're doing right here how, how does that interview make you feel and and like what a smart way to, to like start this match right yeah because i know from my experience i know other siblings have different dynamics with their siblings i, I always if, if he actually listens to this he's actually gonna cry and then i'm gonna call him a bitch after it but he was always like the bar to the glass ceiling for me and i'm like i kind of want to be better than him i kind of want to do more than him i want to try to make sure that i can be better than him i can do a bunch of other things that he can do that or even things that he can't do so the fact that you have roddy piper you know messing with him making sure it's like yeah you you're 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 doing cute, kid. You're doing a great job, but you know, I'm here, and Brett kind of shuts him up. Where Andrew will never admit it. There are times where I actually do outdo him. I do better than him. I actually show off that I actually do have some form of talent. I actually can beat him in things. Granted, some of the times it's video games, and then my own hubris gets the best of me. But th- this made me feel like. Yeah, this is like a lot of the things that Andrew and I do, and yeah, Andrew will get pissed off about it, but just like the ending after that entire match, yeah, Rowdy was pissed, but Hot Rod still had his arm around Brett's neck and just congratulated him, and they went to the back all happy and smiles. Just like Andrew would if it was, hey, you did something better than me, I wouldn't have done it that way, or hey, you beat me in a video game or whatever. You actually beat me. Good job. And then walk off. I actually like this match better than the Savage Flair match, which I know is almost blasphemous. From PC's known me for many years. He knows what a macho man mark I am. Oh, yeah. I, but, oh, yeah. But I did like this match better because I thought it was, I, I, I liked the story going on. I liked, like, Roddy Piper, who has gone from being a heel to a baby face gets his first title in WWF right here where he takes it from the Mountie. Um, You know, Brett, of course, had won the IC title from Perfect in that tremendous match at at SummerSlam 91 and then lost it to the Mountie under weird circumstances. So, Piper gets a title, but in this match, you can see Roddy is going to do anything possible, anything he can to retain that IC title, including possibly going back to being a heel. And, like, those moments where he's about to take Brett's head off of that chair and the fans pull him back from the edge. And he tosses aside, grabs Brett in the sleeper hold. Brett does that great move where he springboards off the top turnbuckle, flips over, and pins Roddy because Roddy won't release the sleeper hold. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Io Sh- or Ember Moon beat Shayna Baszler with that move. Io Shirai beat Shayna Baszler with the same damn move. Not even a year but, later. 
Becky beat Shayna at the last Mania. Yes, exactly. So they have regurgitated this move numerous times, but that was the first time you'd really seen it done. And 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 in that match, Brett bled like a, I mean, like a stuffed pig, and everybody thought he, oh, that happened the hard way. Even after the match, Roddy's like looking at the ref, like you were talking, AJ. He puts his arm around Brett, but he's looking at guys like, give me a towel, give me a towel to you know get this guy is bleeding under control. Um, it's a great match. It, it was, in some ways, it was Brett's ascension, but he was already earmarked for the WWF championship by then. They, they gave him the title, which I think was just set up so that he could drop it to Davey at SummerSlam a few months later in front of in Wembley stadium. And then what a month later, he dethrones flair for the title and we were off and running to WrestleMania nine. And maybe one day we'll do a SummerSlam anthology as well, but Greg, Tony, I'm not hosting that shit. So, <laughs> but, but move, move. I think a Royal Rumble anthology is well in the works before a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam anthology. Oh, God. <laughs> I'd just say that because SummerSlam comes first, you know, in this chronological order because we're heading to Mania. Anywho, it doesn't matter. So do a Survivor right Series anthology. It'll just be me, probably. So. Yep, it will be. <laughs> you, you'll just randomly have us just stumbling drunk, like, yeah, this is Survivor Series. Yeah. <laughs> So easing on down the road here, leading us into nine, one of the more, I guess I would say, controversial manias. But before we get to that, speaking of controversy, something weird happens that kind of sets the table for the WWE for the foreseeable future in this particular timeline. So in 93, Vincent Kennedy McMahon gets indicted by the federal government on charges that he's giving the wrestlers steroids so the whole steroid trial comes to play so okay so he's indicted in 93 they go to court it went to trial in 94 obviously we know how it ends he was acquitted by the jury but at this particular point in time it was kind of a it was a weird time in WWE history so they brought Jerry Jarrett in to possibly run the day-to-day wrestling operations in case Vince did have to go lay it down in prison for a little bit. He ceded control of the business side of the business to Linda McMahon, his wife, and it was it was kind of a time of uncertainty and upheaval. Uh, Dave, what, what do you recall about the steroids trial and how big a deal this really was at the time? Oh, it was a huge deal. I mean, this was... The steroid scandal basically is where um, ties into a lot of um, other stuff going on with Vince, where he essentially outs the business, coins the whole term sports entertainment. Uh, kayfabe is now officially dead. Vince just kind of, and and then his mentality starts to change a little bit, where he doesn't want anybody juicing anymore. Uh, you, this is why you see a guy like Bret Hart, who probably wouldn't have gotten a second look from Vince before all this shit went down. Now Vince is looking at at Brett, and if you read Brett's stuff, Brett, I think Brett did steroids too. Not certainly not to the level that Hogan did or anything like that, but you know he was. They're all using back then to some extent. Um, but I think that that had a a big impact on 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 Vince putting the belt on Brett, letting Brett run with this as long as he had, uh, and eventually like at, at at making Yokozuna the number one contender, and Yokozuna didn't have the look. That, that Vince would have wanted. So you have to wonder, was well, that related to the steroid scandal? Vince going in a different direction, having different looking people not only be champion, but challenger. So I think there's a profound impact that this whole steroid scandal 
had on Vince, had on the company, had on the direction of the business at the time, and and certainly its its imprints are felt all over WrestleMania nine. That's a really good point, actually. Not only is Brett like the sidestep from the steroids in in shape and figure, but so is Yokozuna, and I think a lot of people don't don't realize that. That that's a that's a phenomenal point that is well uh, underrated. I'll no, take that's... credit for that, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> I've given, given it to you in the best way I could. So speaking of, we talked about Ric Flair, the last uh, topic, and how he was, it was basically grand opening, grand closing for Rick in the WWF. But before he was out the door, he drops the WWF championship. He ends up winning the belt back from Macho Man to make him a two-time, two-time WWF champion. And then he drops the belt on October 12th in 1992 to Bret Hart in a match that's that was non-televised, but I think it was up in Canada. Now, if you go back on the WWE Network, they do have the match. Honestly, it's not the best match, especially considering the two combatants. You'd think they would have had a better match, but it is what it is. But if you listen to either one of those guys talk about the other, there's clearly no love lost there. So maybe their lack of chemistry had to come from the fact that they don't particularly care for each other. But Brett is the champion going into WrestleMania 9. And Dave, I, I want to talk to you about this because you were there that night. WrestleMania 9, Las Vegas. I was there. I, I could tell you this, man. Las Vegas is an amazing town for WrestleMania. And that was in 1993. I cannot wait for WrestleMania to come back to Las Vegas, go to the Raiders Stadium, go to the Death Star, you know, as great as New Orleans was and walking distance for everything, Las Vegas is even better because everything's right there. You don't even have to really leave your hotel. But, yeah, I mean, Vegas was a tremendous city for, for WrestleMania. They turned Caesars Palace into an outside amphitheater. Um, the wrestlers were pretty accessible. So this is 93. I've got some WrestleMania 9 stories for you guys. So... I'm there with my girlfriend at the time. I'm 25 years old. I was like in really, really, really good shape. I know AJ's looking at me like, you? I'm like, yes, me. I used to be like bodybuilder material, AJ. So I was hanging out with a lot, <laughs> hanging out in the hallway of Caesars Palace. We're out there. Shawn Michaels comes in. And he's got a girl on each arm. He is absolutely fucking hammered. He comes up to me, puts his arm around my shoulder, whispers in my ear, goes, I have no idea who these girls are that I'm with. And I'm like, well, you know, in the words of a league of their own, can't you do both? And Sean's like, you know, it's not a bad idea. And uh, he just goes off with these girls. And that's kind of kind of the last I saw of Sean. Um, there was a moment where I was, I forget where we were someplace. And somehow, some way, I ended up in between Bret Hart and Yokozuna. And they're in character in the casino. And they're jawing with each other. And I'm standing between these two guys. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? These guys are huge. Yokozuna walks away. I look to Brett and I say, hey, good luck on Sunday, champ. And he says, yeah, I think I'm going to need it. Those are all actual true stories. But they, Mania 9, oh, man, it, it just, I don't know. There's not a lot of match matches there that are of high quality. Uh, there's some okay matches. The Steiner's Head Shrinkers was, was a decent match. You know, I can say that. You know, they, but Taker yeah, I mean, Giant Sean, Gonzalez it, was excellent. Um Tony, Tony, go get another beer if you're yeah. going to actually say shit like that. <laughs> uh, what was the first match? Sean and Tatanka? Sean and Sean Tatanka, and Tatanka, Tatanka which, the opener. That was a good match. Yeah, that was a good match. That was a, a, a damn good match. Better, a better match than Tatanka ever had, yeah. 
Right. And, and the main event was it's a bullshit finish before we even get to the Hulk Hogan intervention. But you got to give it to Bret Hart in that match for the performance he put in and Yokozuna as well. But, you know, you compare that match to the one that they have a year later at 10. I'll take the one at nine actually is the better of the two matches, even though Bret wins at 10. Um, but yeah, you know, Fuji with the salt in the eyes, Yokozuna wins the title and that sets the stage for um, the rebirth temporarily, though it was of Hulkamania. But hey, Bobby oh. Heenan coming in backwards in a toga on a camel. Jim Ross's <laughs> debut in a toga. How about oh, the? Uh, it's, not, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. How about the sheriffs walking out, uh, Giant Gonzalez, and pretty much <laughs> everybody just laughing. Why aren't you so fascinated on Giant Gonzalez? Jesus Christ! <laughs> He's like, isn't he the only wow. takers wow. who he doesn't win I, this or is submit? Like, yeah, I, his name isn't Giant Gonzalez. Giant Gonzalez, Jesus Christ. It's just Giant Gonzalez. He was Eligante Giant Gonzalez, Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, so, yes, yes. El Savior. That, that, wait, 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 no, no. Hispanic, so it's Jesus. It's not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So this guy, he actually has an interesting story. So his real name is George Gonzalez. I think he's Honduran, if I'm not mistaken. He's from Argentinian. South America. Argentinian. Argentinian. Thank you. I, I knew it was South America. So. This was at the time where Ted Turner still owned the Atlanta Hawks, so they bring him in because he's legit like, what, Dave, 7'6", seven, 7'7", seven, seven, something like that, like legitimately. Big guy, man. Yeah, so they bring him into the Hawks. Obviously, that doesn't work out very well. He, he's got the athletic prowess of a stuffed teddy bear. But Ted's like, okay, well, I got to get some sort of return on my investment. So they take him down to WCW, trying to see if they can teach him how to wrestle, if he had any type of aptitude for that. And Ted, in the back of his mind, is thinking, I found my Andre the Giant. It's kind of rough. He's from Argentina. He has no previous knowledge of wrestling. I don't think he ever even watched a stitch of wrestling in his life before this, and that doesn't work out. But, of course, Vince sees the guy, and he gets a hard-on. He tries to bring him in and see if he can get something out of him. He got a WrestleMania match out of him, and, you know, he's shortly gone from the company. And he's actually no longer with us. And his story ends up kind of being sad because he, he goes back to Argentina, and he's pretty much destitute from that point on. And Harvey Whippleman, who was his his handler and manager at the time, he's actually sending him money down to Argentina. Because I guess he came from a big family, so the money that he did make, he kept sending it to his family. And by the time he washed out, he was broke and... Harvey was sending him money just so he could eat, and he's actually no longer with us. So shout out to George Gonzalez and R.I.P. Yeah, but that's a, a, that's. I mean, he wasn't. I mean, you could compare him to Andre all you want, but he had like what one tenth of the athletic ability of Andre the Giant. Oh, it well, wasn't even close. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't yeah, even close. No. I seen a. I seen a, actually seen a. Uh, I don't, it was a very short clip the other day of Andre the Giant taking two um, head scissors in a row. Like almost like you know, not reverse Frankenstein. Obviously, Frankenstein goes the other way. But I mean, Andre's rolling, getting up, and moving. If you ever have a chance to watch Andre from, you know, the the late '60s, '70s, especially if you can see anything he did while he was still in France in his teens, it's just some of the most amazing shit you've ever seen in your life. It's why my dream match would be a young Andre as a face against a heel Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman. Andre would beat his ass. My opinion. That'd be a good that'd be a good shoot fight too. But Tony, so Dave brought up Yokozuna. 
Yokozuna was very integral to this period in WWE because, quite frankly, he's the bridge. He's the bridge that gets us from the Hulkamania era rather, to the new generation. And, I mean, he was a big melon farmer, but he was super athletic, he could move, and he was a top guy almost instantaneously when he came in the company. So I, 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 you, I know you got something to say, but just real quick, I got to ask. Yokozuna, underrated, overrated, properly rated? Underrated. Go back and watch his AWA stuff, Coquina Maximus. And you talk about watching some young Andre the Giant stuff. Go back and watch some young Yokozuna stuff. And Yoko couldn't stop eating. Uh, you, you, we talk about the evolution of, of the physique within professional wrestling evolving from a from a bigger man and then the steroids into someone that's smaller and more athletic. And Yoko kind of went the other way. He he just he just got bigger and bigger. And you can see it as you watch these WrestleManias. And it's 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 sad. The weird thing is, the bigger he got, he maintained his athleticism for moments, and it was just like, holy shit! Look at this guy; he's amazing. It's just a, it's just a, tr- a tribute to the Samoan family and and the, the 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 sports entertainers that they provide, and and he was such a good person as well. If you have a chance to go and watch the WWE uh, Icon series, starts with Yokozuna, and I can't wait for the next one. It's so well done. Um, what a great guy! What a great guy! Yeah, I, I second that. And AJ, just to point out how stupid and racist Americans are, and it's funny because as I was thinking this, like literally a split second while a split second after I was thinking this, Bobby Heenan actually mentions it on commentary. But during the main event, Yokozuna versus Bret Hart, evil foreigner Yokozuna versus Bret Hart, and the crowd starts chanting USA, USA even though one guy is Samoan and the other guy's from Canada. It's just, it, it's funny to me. Well, we were all drunk, yeah. Chris. Give us a break, man. At we the, were all yeah. At <laughs> the time, he says Japanese, Japanese not Samoan. You, you have someone who's portrayed that they were in Japan because they earned the highest rank as sumo wrestler, even though he's Samoan. And freaking uh, North American. If, if they chanted America, that would have been different, but... I they're not even talking. They're not even chanting for the American, America, Samoa, and they're chanting for the Canadian. Exactly, but, exactly. But to, be, to be fair, though, this is how stupid I was because as a kid, I, I, there was no thought in my mad mind that Yokozuna wasn't Japanese. I just totally bought that this guy was Japanese. Now looking back, you can clearly see he's Samoan. So I'm looking like, what the hell was I thinking? Nah, it's the, but that was the time where you know, like we've said a million times already, there was no internet, so you couldn't see. Oh, Rodney Anawaii. He's he's from America Samoa. He he's he's from actual like American descent. He he's not Japanese at all. He's got Mr. That. Fuji with him. Why he's got he Fuji Japanese? with him. Fuji's <laughs> waving a Japanese flag the entire time. We got Fuji's racist salt in the in his hands. Come on. Speaking of the salt, Dave. So Fuji throws the salt in in Brett's eyes. That leads to the pin. All of a sudden, the real American Hulk Hogan comes out, challenges Brett for the title, and Hulk wins the title back. Kind of yeah. a fuck finish, but y'all went up for it, though. I, you know, I, I heard the reaction. Y'all went up for it. Oh, it was a huge pop. I mean, there were still, you got to remember, people were not ready to say goodbye to Hulkamania at this point in time. They, this is, Hulk was all we knew. Um, and it seemed for the longest time that WrestleMania 9 was going to be no Hulk Hogan. Then he comes back with Brother Brudeye, and they take on the, uh, what, Money, Inc. for the tag titles in a shit match. 
that Money Inc. retains the titles on on questionable stuff. Hulk's in there with a fucking black eye. That contra talk about controversy. How do you get the black eye? You know, there's multiple reasons why. Well, he, so he got beaten up by like Marines or some shit like that. No, that was Shawn Michaels and <laughs> that was Sean. Hulk, Hulk. The story is either Macho beat his ass, or he dropped the weight on his head, or he got hurt in a jet skiing accident, or something. No one really that, knows the truth. I, I've well, heard well, the jet skiing well, one. Of the kayfabe was DiBiase well, paid well, thugs to go beat him up. Yeah, that, that, that was, was the kayfabe. But we're, 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 we're gonna talk. Well, we're gonna let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're gonna talk about that in plat specs. What actually happened in that right. particular situation? Ooh, Chris yeah. has got that yeah. too, but. But I think, you know, when, when Hulk comes down and Brett's telling him to go for it, and, and I mean, the whole thing was just ridiculous, where Yoka, we'll put the belt on the line right now if you get in the ring. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? No one cared. Hulk got in there, beats Yokozuna in 30 seconds and wins the title, and everybody lost their mind because up until then, everybody in that stadium realized WrestleMania 9 was kind of fucked. You know, we got multiple doinks. We got uh, Lex Luger's mirrors. We got Bob. You got Lex like, Luger with like, mirrors. Yeah, like AEW, the original AEW Revolution. Lex Luger at WrestleMania yeah. 9. That's right. The exploding ring got its origins from Lex Luger's mirrors. But we're not going to go into that. <laughs> yeah, but his muscles were more explosive than that. the ending of the match. That's true. That's, <laughs> so, But I think so. that's kind of what it was, was, was people were not ready to say goodbye to Hulk absolutely thrilled after the way it went down earlier with Hulk not getting a title and just kind of like wow really that's it that's like a wet fart in church that's really the best that we've got out of this whole thing with Hulk Hogan so yeah people were ready to pop they popped big time for Hulk winning the title and there you go off into the sunset we go and this was the last time Hulk got his way too because he Vince wanted him to win the tag titles right so so, according to Bret Hart in his autobiography, he claims that the only reason that he went for this fuck shit was that he was under the impression that he and Hogan were going to have a match for the title at SummerSlam and Hulk was going to put him over. And allegedly, Bret even says that they did promotional photos to hype up SummerSlam where they're both tugging at the belt and stuff like that. I would love to see those photos, by the way. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Hogan loses the title to, back to Yokozuna in 94, in June of 94, the King of the Ring. And Hogan is gone from WWF until WrestleMania 18. So I, I kind of feel sorry for Brett around here because he always felt like he seemed to have gotten the short end of the stick, you know? He was... I mean, he was always like almost transitional in a certain way, even though, even if he wasn't, it's almost, you could think like in Vince's mind, maybe he was transitional until I could get to the next guy who, you know, we're going to talk about, I think you said Hulk dropped the title to Yoko in the summer of 94 is actually 93 because then we're going to go into, you're, you're, you're right, man. I, I beg, beg my pardon, man. So I, we're going yeah. to go into SummerSlam 93. And I know this isn't the SummerSlam anthology show, but to support your point, Chris, that, that, Brett never really felt like the guy. Always kind of like he was like he was like Vince's safety net. I'm gonna try and experiment with a bunch of shit, and if it doesn't work, I'll just put the belt back on Brett. And, and you see this repeatedly for the next few years because now comes the great Lex Luger experiment leading into SummerSlam and ultimately to WrestleMania 10. But every time something went wrong, Vince would just go right back to Brett. That's a great segue, by the way, because one of the other 
stereo, stereo, not stereotypes, Jesus Christ, but one of the other storylines happening simultaneously at WrestleMania 9 is that we do get the debut at the time of the narcissist Lex Luger versus Mr. Perfect, which wasn't a horrible match because it's, it's Kurt Henning. How can he have a bad it match? It wasn't, but the problem is half the people in Vegas that night didn't know what narcissist meant. So, <laughs> touche, touche. Fair. Yeah. So Lex Luger comes into the company in J- January, I believe, of 91. Not even as a wrestler. He comes in into something known as the WBF, which was Vince's cockamamie half-baked, half-ass scheme to do a bodybuilding federation, because that sells, right? Uh, Not for Vince, it doesn't. <laughs> If you're I mean, short, I mean, Schwarzenegger or Franco Colombo or somebody, yeah, but not for the WBF, sponsored by IcaPro. Someone put the uh, end credits of Predator where they have all the actors from the movie coming out and then smiling oh my just God, to show I know exactly you. Exactly what you're talking and they put about. Gold, they put the Golden Girls theme underneath it, and it's fucking phenomenal. It, it's perfect to a T. But going That's... back to the WBF. I mean, we all know Vince loved his muscle guys, the land of the giants, and that's that. That's why he was the narcissist, as Heenan would like to say. You know, he, he'd have the mirrors, like Tony said. He would stare at every single one of them, start flexing and posing. You saw basically, like, the size of Hulk Hogan's arms in the mirrors and everything. So, as we all say, he looked like he was going to be the next Hulk Hogan, and yeah, we see how that went. So he comes in not as a wrestler, but as a bodybuilder in the WBF. He never actually competes in the WBF because he gets into a motorcycle accident. So once rehab is done and by the time he gets back and is ready in shape, the WBF is gone. Like it started in January of 91. By July of 92, it's Rap City. It's like so the XFL he comes in. Almost. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that. Shit, we'll probably get to that next week. But uh, so Luger comes into the 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 WWF as a wrestler. He starts as the narcissist, and then ultimately he becomes the All American American. Shout out to Jack Swagger. Lex we all think he's Lex Express. Thank you. We all think he's going to be the next guy. Obviously, it doesn't work out. AJ, I have to ask you. Has there ever been anybody in the history of this industry that has made more money? Because you could clearly see why Vince was enamored by this guy. Just take one look at him. But has there ever been anybody in the industry that has made more money solely based off potential than Lex Luger? Not not that I can really think of. I mean, like, for me, not that I can think of. I, I, I can see Tony's mouthing something that he might actually have an answer to it, but... No, I mean, like we said, he was the narcissist, and then going afterward with the Lex Express and going on to the battleship against Yokozuna and body slamming him for all that money, and he, because everyone tried to body slam him, have that. I don't remember how much money was involved in that. I think it was ten thousand dollars. I could be wrong. Someone please correct me if I'm incorrect on this. I think you're about right. It reminds me a little yeah, bit of the old right. Andre and. Uh... Big John stud thing with Bobby Heenan stealing the bag, but it's funny because I've had this conversation with Aesop Mitchell with his brand new show Down the Wire right here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Great sports show every Monday with him and his brother, and 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 he said the exact same thing. I, I can't think of anybody to answer Chris Platt's question, and then you add in the disdain of the ending 
of 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 with Elizabeth, and and that's just unfortunate for Lex Luger how his legacy is going to sit in in wrestling lore. Um, I mean, it's weird. You hear all about this charisma that he had behind the scenes, and none of it translated in front of the camera. And no, that's I... funny because I, I never heard about charisma behind the scenes. I always heard that he was a dick. And but I mean, I, I have to say this though. Shout out to Lex. Obviously, he some things happened. He's a paraplegic now, but he ended up finding God. And from all accounts, he seems to be in a much better place now. So I don't want to bury him. I just I, I do want to say that the story has a semi happy ending. I know Dave wants to get in right here, and I, when I want to specify behind the scenes charisma, I mean with the people that had the book and they were in control of the companies. He was very, very well taken to them. Yeah, because of his look. But they enjoyed just... they enjoyed talking to him. Like, he came off good to yeah. them. Whether he was a dick to everybody He's... else and select people, fine. But I'm just telling you, like, whoever held the, held the book, he was charming to them. In the same way he got Elizabeth. Yeah. I, I mean, Lex just came out of nowhere. You think about on the deck of the Intrepid that day where he, that helicopter comes in. It's a body slam competition. Everybody and their mother thought Hulk Hogan was getting off that helicopter. And Lex, and you're like, look at this. Like, what the fuck? Lex strolls out with that American flag shirt, body slams Yokozuna, and, and people just lost their damn minds. If you can't trans, I mean, Chris, you're talking about whether anybody made more money just based on sheer potential alone? Hell no. Because if you can't translate that moment into a WWF championship, and he beats Yoko by countout at SummerSlam, and this goes on for six fucking months. And you could tell at the Royal Rumble that Vince is having second thoughts because otherwise, why does he book that screwy finish with him and with Brett and Lex hitting the ground at the same time? And then comes up with his whacked-out idea for, well, we're going to put Yokozuna in two matches. You know, he's going to defend the title twice, and whoever's the champion after the first match will defend it against... Uh, the other guy later, it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing with this thing? Um, and, and then you got to remember, all the rumors were that Lex was going to win the championship. He even had the WWF championship at a house show before WrestleMania went down. And, you know, because they were filming for that, that he was going to be the champion. And he, I guess, what's the rumor about WrestleMania 10? He started running his mouth that he was going to win the title and Vince got pissed and, and said, nope, that's not happening. Yeah, that's the rumor that yeah he was talking to a reporter and they printed something in the paper saying that he was going to win and then Vince changed his mind that's that's the the rumor and scuttlebutt of what happened I, I kind of lean on what you said though Dave I think he just soured on Lex and a lot of that had to do maybe with the fact that Hogan said I don't want the tag titles and then he got moved out of the way it's hard to say because Hogan was but brought again- Hogan was brought back with Lowering ratings on a contract that Vince didn't yeah. want to give him and gave him more creative control because he couldn't pay him enough. And and Golden came in and said, I don't want to be the tag champs. I'm I'm too big of a star. Stars are not tag champs right now. But but again, to prove the point that I, I'm trying to make about Brett being Vince's safety net, it's never more prevalent than here at WrestleMania 10 because you've got Brett involved in this fucking fire segment with his brother turning heel on him kicking his leg out of his leg and all that shit at the Royal Rumble. You've got that going on, but yet Vince has got to interject Brett into this title picture that should just be Lex's alone, but Vince doesn't feel it. And he's like, this is not working. I got to have Brett. I got to have a Brett as my backup plan. 
So you can see right there that what Vince thinks of Bret Hart and what he thinks of Lex Luger, and it all comes to a head at WrestleMania 10. No, you, you're absolutely right. So, AJ, WrestleMania 10, the two standalone matches or standout matches, obviously, are Bret versus Owen, which I know you probably feel that on a spiritual level. And, of course, the first ever televised, pay-per-viewed ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. Which, both classic matches for different reasons, but to you, which one stands out more to you? Well, as much as I'm cackling and smiling because the little brother got ahead of the big brother, like I said before, I'm with Roddy and Brett, you know, that was a touching moment where it was like, yeah, even the big brother even admitted, it's like, yeah, good job. But <sighs> I got to admit, there's some times where I had to weasel my way into a win against Andrew in different games and whatnot. There's a reason why he will never play Monopoly again if I'm playing against him because of some bullshit freaking chance card that he had to go to Boardwalk and I had a hotel and I bankrupted him. But I have to go with the signed picture that you see behind me right here of Shawn Michaels and uh, Razor Ramon being in the very first ladder match actually sh doing something different, doing something that we've never seen before. We actually are going to new heights, no pun intended, where we have the unification of two different intercontinental champions. We're going to unify the belts to have one sole IC champion I mean, th everyone knows that match. Everyone sees the video of Sean diving off of the ladder, doing the splash onto Razor. We had the the overhead cam for that Mania alone, which was amazing. Where you know we, even for a ladder match, you don't usually see that angle. You don't even see that nowadays, where you see like, oh well, they're this close to this title. They can actually touch it. Their fingertips away. And we can actually cut to that screen where it's like they're actually fingertips away until something amazing happens where you push the ladder or even when it was Owen versus Brett where they had it in the center of the ring and they had technical chemistry where they were fighting each other, they were taking apart body parts, they were making sure everything was taken care of, Owen going for the knee, both of them utilizing the sharpshooter, it was just perfectly sound and I believe... A part of that, actually, yes, Tony, the sleight of hand, too. I, 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 I see you. With the... But, like, I feel like the overhead cam actually added more to those matches than anything else. So, Dave, and I, I want to say this most respectfully to the <laughs> Red Owen Hart match. Oh, okay. Because... Th that was an outstanding wrestling match and it deserves all the due that it deserves it was that phenomenal but I, I have to kind of agree with AJ on this I would lean towards the ladder match but it's bittersweet to me because I look at this ladder match similarly to how I look at NWA the, the rap group in rap and hip hop okay so they did that it was fresh it was exciting it was new it was different it was edgy but after that precedent was set, it seems as if everybody else felt like they had to do the exact same thing and follow that exact same format, and the whole concept got watered down. Like, at this point in time, I'm sick of ladder matches. If I never see another ladder match again, I'm cool. 
Liar. Yeah, because this is what WWE does, is they take a really awesome concept and they just oversaturate the shit out of it. You've got the ladder match at WrestleMania 10. Let's talk about Hell in a Cell. You got a whole fucking pay-per-view named after Hell in a Cell. We got the Elimination Chamber. That first Elimination Chamber match is one of the all-time great matches. Now you got a whole pay-per-view set around the Elimination Chamber where you've got multiple things. That first Money in the Bank ladder match. Okay, it's just a ladder match. But now we've added this element of the Money in Bank briefcase. Now we got a whole pay-per-view. You got Baron Corbin murdering motherfuckers at the last <laughs> Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So here's... That's... Hold on. But before you, as... Hold on. Before you get into your take, that was great. AJ, who does he sound like? Uh, he sounds like someone who's currently downstairs playing video games. In my no, house. he sounds like Dan. He sounds like DP. DP's always. That's been... not that. No, 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 DP's... no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. AJ, stop. AJ, will you stop? You're talking about the wrong matches. point. This is going to be really quick. DP agrees with you, Dave, that pay-per-views shouldn't be named after these matches. These matches should be special to pay-per-views and come along once in a while. That's what I meant, AJ. You knew that. Well, yeah. Okay, I mean, that's also fair, but like the, the the rant that he went on was Andrew. You have to admit, that well, was an Andrew rant. Even I, but, even Chris is nodding his head. <laughs> yeah, that was all as, Andrew. As far as ladder matches go, though, this is still, in my opinion, the greatest ladder match of all time for a few reasons. The biggest one is that <laughs> they only had one ladder. Now, granted, it was not a gimmick ladder; it was a real ladder. If anything goes wrong with that ladder in this match. What happens to those guys? So, and I don't know. I know Sean and Razor have watched the match back, and they've kind of loosely talked about what they might have done if something had gone wrong. But I don't, you can tell. You can tell, listen to them, that you guys never even contemplated what you were going to do if that ladder broke, did you? And, and so they get lucky in that. They use the ladder to perfection. It's not overdone. It's used as a weapon at some points. It's used to enhance the story at other points. They did that so well. There's no fuck-ups in the match. They don't mess up anything. There's not a botched spot. Everything's done perfectly. The ending is fantastic where Sean gets hung up in the ropes. Razor gets the ladder, gets up there, and takes both. And Razor takes that huge bump falling from the ladder to the mat at the end of the thing. It's still, in my opinion, the greatest ladder match of all time. Yes, there have been other great ones, sure. No doubt about that. But that was the first one that we saw with that kind of a ladder. It's the only ladder match I can ever remember, guys, honestly, where there was only one ladder involved because everything else after that, even Sean and Razor's rematch at SummerSlam the next year, there's two ladders involved in that. So it is the greatest ladder match of all time. I still think Brett versus Owen is the better match and the greatest opening match in the history of WrestleMania. And, and the match that you look back at Owen now and, and, and God rest his soul and all the shit that went wrong, that match was all about Brett putting his little brother over. AJ's talking about him, the rivalry with him and his, his brother, and maybe they won't play Monopoly ever again. Maybe they'll play Catan sometime. Who knows? But the thing is, um, that match was all about Brett putting his little brother over and putting him on the map. And boy, did they do a hell of a job in that match. And then when you come around later on and, and see how that comes full circle, where Brett wins a title at the end and Owen just sitting there looking at him as they've got him all on their shoulder, Brett on their shoulders. And the look on Owen's face, which, of course, leads into their the greatest SummerSlam match of all time coming up in a few months. So it's, um, I like Brett Owen better, but the latter match was absolutely phenomenal. 
And you can't argue either way. Both of those matches are in the pantheon of great WrestleMania matches. And they still hold up surprisingly well also. Oh, Brett Owens, timeless. I mean, that's timeless. I mean, you could sit there and say ladder matches have evolved and all this stuff. Okay, maybe not for the better. But Brett Owen is right up there with Savage Steamboat, Daniel Bryan at Triple H, you know, Undertaker, Sean, Austin Hart. You can put them all up there. But, yeah, I mean, Brett versus Owen is a timeless match and a, and a stunning finish because most of us didn't think that Owen stood a chance in hell against Brett, which real, was the point. Real quick, Razor is an underrated part of this block of WrestleManias. He beats three Hall of Famers to start his WrestleMania career in a row at WrestleMania. I don't think anybody else has ever done that. Uh, it may be after this, but no one has done it before. So just kudos. No, Good that's point. fair. And I mean, Scott Hall is one on that short list. And these lists come out every now and again. It seems like every other week on Twitter, you know, greatest wrestlers to never hold the world title. I agree with Tunney. Roddy Piper has to be number one and it's not even up for debate but Scott Hall is clearly on that list as well and it, I, you know he I feel like he just he was the right guy at the wrong time because this was a time where they didn't play hot potato and everybody get, didn't get the title all willy-nilly so I feel as if had he stayed in the company and been able to keep his demons in check eventually he would have had a run with the belt am yeah. I wrong it's it's all it's a difference in times to be honest with you the attention span is shorter now, so you need to change the title over more. You know, you 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 have more information. We talk about it. You know, I mean, we're gonna get into the next episodes. Are gonna the the, the evolution of sharing of information really landscapes wrestling almost more than just like not more than just like everything else in life, right? Touche, touche. And speaking of Scott Hall and that fantastic ladder match that he had versus Shawn Mike at WrestleMania 10. Vince found a new project around this time because the man who walked out with Shawn Michaels to the ring that night, Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel, going into WrestleMania 11, Diesel is the world champ. And you can clearly see what Vince saw in this man. He was tall. He was a legitimately big man. He was handsome. He was charismatic. He could talk, and he had that cool factor. But for whatever reason, it didn't work. AJ, why didn't Diesel work as champion, as the top guy? I mean, in all honesty, I have no clue why that didn't work at all. I mean, like you said, he had the charisma. He can talk on the mic. He he was cool. He had the freaking hair flip. Everyone wanted to be Diesel. Tony, don't shake your head. You know you wanted to be Diesel at some point. You want you wanted to pull it down. You had to. You wanted to be Big Daddy cool. You have no idea what's coming, but I'm going to answer Christopher Platt's question in less time than you just about to said. He hadn't found his voice yet, and he can't wrestle. Dave, do you agree with that? Uh, I actually do. Yeah, and and I think like part of Diesel's problem was he wasn't built properly. They. They strapped the belt to him. They hot-shotted the title in a nine-second destruction of Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden. That's not how you should build a champion, by just having him... Yeah, Diesel was big. He was huge. He was Sean's bodyguard, all this, you know, so forth and so on. And he becomes a babyface. And then they just... That's it. 
I mean, and that's not good storytelling. And this is kind of the era where WWF starts getting a little bit lazy with their booking. Certainly not to the extent of modern WWE, but you start seeing it here where it's like, why why did you bury Bob Backlund like that? I mean, just have Diesel one jackknife powerbomb and that's it. So I don't think that helped him at all that they just said, we got to get the belt on him right away. Um, I, I don't, I, I mean, AJ saying he had charisma. I tend to agree with Tony. He would obtain a lot more charisma later on at this point in time diesel's just a really big guy with a really good look with basic wrestling skills with i'd say above average talking skills but he is still living in a very large shadow of hulk hogan we're talking we're only two years removed from the era of hulkamania and anybody who's that size is going to get compared to hulk and let's be honest whether you think he had charisma or not at this point he has one tenth of hulk's charisma at this point in his career. And I think that's a big problem that he just wasn't going to get over. You're trying to make, you're trying to make another Hulk Hogan instead of making the first diesel. And that's kind of where I think Vince went off the rails with diesel at this point in time. That's fair. And that's a critique that you could make about Lex Luger as well. Instead of trying to find the next guy, he was trying to do Hogan 2.0 with Lex. And maybe that's what happened with diesel here as well. But I want to go around the horn right quick because there's similar parallels to Diesel and Bret Hart in the fact that they both won their titles in non-televised matches. Did that have something to do with why each of those guys didn't get over to the level that they would have liked? And just round the horn real quick, yes or no answers. Didn't help. Put it that way. I don't know if it was fatal. It didn't help. Yeah, it didn't help whatsoever because, like we said, Nash wasn't. Nash was getting to what he was doing, where he didn't have like he didn't have everything put together yet. The the ongoing joke at that point was he's the six moves of doom, including the hair flip. So, yeah, he was the quickest to earn the triple crown, but you know, hair flip. And, Tony, you're not going to say anything different than what they're saying. So, moving on to WrestleMania 11. In our main event, we see NFL Hall of Famer Lawrence Taylor. Can we skip 11? (laughs) No. We can't skip 11, Tony. Come on. Even you know Lawrence Taylor defeated Bam 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 Bigelow. Guys, this match wasn't horrible. No, it wasn't. You know, there was but a chant when I used it, to go to basketball games and I'd hear a wrong call and we would all yell, that's debatable. It's not terrible, Chris. You're absolutely right. But it had no business being the main event of WrestleMania 11. And it's an insult to Diesel and Shawn Michaels that this match, and I understand why they did it. First off, we're in Hartford, Connecticut. I mean, right there, no offense to Hartford. But when WrestleMania is in Hartford, you kind of are like setting yourself up a little bit. And... I, yeah, you're right. But LC Dave, put on but, a good. But but, but Dave, I'm not trying come to on, bury man. Hartford, but I am. But but Dave, you 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 were raised in the DMV. You're a Washington football team fan. I don't have to tell you, especially in the the mid '90s, how big a deal Lawrence Taylor was. You know better than any of us. I do for and unfortunate so does, reasons. So does Joe Theismann's leg. No yeah, better than yeah. anybody. Exactly. But Lawrence Taylor's <laughs> he and absolutely he was a a huge a huge star Vince wanted that marquee thing and this is an I mean and maybe this is more of a reason why when 
you're looking at Diesel, and you're wondering why wasn't he more over? The fact that Vince didn't put him in the main event and put LT versus Bam Bam in the main event tells you all you need to know about once Vince thought his confidence level was in Diesel. And at this point in time, he's like, shit, I got to do something bigger for the main event. I'm going to put LT in this spot. If I had to guess, again, I one of these days I wanted to sit down with Vince and say, dude, can I just talk to you for like 30 minutes? I got a, a lot of questions for you. I, I don't think Vince realized yet what he had in Shawn Michaels, despite the performance at WrestleMania 10, but Shawn's performance against Diesel here at WrestleMania 11, where he clearly steals the entire show, steals the match, turns in a magnificent performance, takes an ugly fucking jackknife powerbomb. That thing sucked. And I think at that point, had Vince realized what he had in Shawn at that point, I don't think LT versus Bam Bam goes on last. But because Vince had no confidence or not the confidence level he wanted in Diesel at this time, he said, I got to do something bigger for Mania. Let's put LT against Bam Bam. And you're absolutely right, Chris. It's a damn good match. It's not bad at all. It's nowhere near Diesel and Sean, though. How much better would things have been if he would have put Diesel in the Razor role and Razor in the Diesel role, not as characters, but as how he booked them? Like, can you imagine if, like, if, you know what I'm saying, Dave? Like, Diesel would have won the matches Razor won, except the ladder match, and then Razor would have been the one at the top, you know? I mean, I think Diesel would have got a lot more over in the mid-card, whereas Razor could have showed off a little bit more. And he, Scott Hall is 6'8". People don't understand that because he stood next to Kevin Nash for so fucking long. Go once again, go back to AWA and look at Scott Hall. He is a fucking monster. He's bigger than take Hogan. Your, when he's in AWA, your, he's bigger than Hogan was. He is. Take your example a step further. If you had done Razor versus Sean in a rematch at WrestleMania 11 for the championship, how would that have gone over? Probably a lot better than Diesel versus Sean because they just were. I mean, the problem was Sean exposed Diesel in so many ways in this match as to how limited he was that Vince had no choice after that match but to do what he did, which is have Sid turn on Sean the very next night and then we're off and running with Sean's babyface run. Um, I get why LT went on last. There's, it's, it's plainly evident to me, and I think that ties into everything you're talking about, Chris, with the fact that the confidence level in Diesel wasn't where it should have been, and Vince knew it at, that, at WrestleMania 11, and the next night it was clearly evident that Sean was the more over... Sean basically wrote his own ticket. WrestleMania 11 is panned as being just as bad as WrestleMania 9, and you could argue worse. But it's really, in a lot of ways, that WrestleMania was so important for Shawn Michaels and the evolution of where he went that it's probably very underrated in the whole grand scheme of Shawn's trajectory in WWF at the time. I, I agree, and to play devil's advocate right quick before we move on, you're not going to find too many bigger Scott Hall marks than me. I absolutely love Scott Hall. I think he's one of the coolest people that has ever walked the face of the planet. But, and I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate. To be fair, one of the reasons why they never gave the ball to Davey Boy Smith is because they couldn't trust him because of some of his, uh, we'll say, proclivities. And we know that Scott Hall had a very similar palette to Davey Boy Smith. So perhaps one of the reasons that he never ascended to that main event level in either company 
was because the brass, i.e. the management, didn't know whether or not they could trust him if they gave him the ball because of some of his extracurriculars, we'll say. I agree completely. I mean, you you raise a fantastic point. He had, you look at a lot of these guys who had their demons that they just couldn't trust because of that. And I mean, if you look at WrestleMania 11, it was superstar late. And I mean, you had all those NFL players that were there with Lawrence Taylor, just off the top of my head, Reggie White, Carl Banks. I'm sure there were others. We had Jonathan Taylor Thomas back when he was a thing. Pam Anderson, Jenny McCarthy. Like, this was a hugely celebrity-driven mania. And maybe that's because they didn't have a whole lot of superstars at the time. I don't know. I mean, you never know. I mean, to this day, I know a lot of people, because nowadays we see it all the time that the Rumble winner isn't the main event, even though they always say, and the winner of the Royal Rumble has the main event spot to WrestleMania. And this was the first time that we actually didn't see that, really. Like, we saw, like, okay, I guess we have this right now. We, I it is what it is so LT coming out with all the names like you said Carl Banks Reggie White Mongo. Uh, a WCW name that uh, we all hate <laughs> and Steve McMichael actually was in his corner the only bear I actually like yeah I forgot Steve was there too yeah but, but go ahead AJ keep going but like this was the first time that we ever saw where it was the Royal Rumble winner who was Sean didn't main event mania and yeah we saw the limitations of Kevin Nash and all that but that in all honesty was probably Kevin Nash's best match barring that terrible jackknife that even Nash on interviews says Sean can wrestle a goddamn mop and make it a four plus star match and he sells me the worst fucking jackknife of all time come on how, how many times have we seen that jackknife and went Sean, you're better than this. Come on. Well, hold your applause, AJ, because I believe that Kevin Nash's best match came next year. So, just a little backstory, considering WrestleMania 12. At the time, I was a young adolescent, and I had taken a break from wrestling. Frankly, to be honest, I thought that I was too mature and had outgrown excuse me, and had outgrown wrestling, which, 30 years later, look where we're at, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I go come and, on. Good, so I good go out choice, and good career choice. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I made it work. Yeah. So, <laughs> when you made the you made the best choices out of all of us on this podcast, Dave. I don't even think that's debatable. But so uh, that morning, the morning of WrestleMania 12, I'm playing basketball with some of my friends, and one of them mentions that Ultimate Warrior is coming back for WrestleMania 12. So automatically, just off rip, right then and there, I have to order that show. So I order the show, and we go back and we watch it. And the the first thing that stood out to me was, you know, looking at the card. I said to myself, "Oh wow, Shawn Michaels is a main eventer now, because this is the guy that yeah I saw with the Rockers, and I saw the breakup with Marty Jannetty, and you know, for the previous what from I think it was Mania seven, eight, and nine. He was the curtain jerker. He was the opening act. Mm-hmm. And he takes that from opening act to main event at 12. That's a hell of a leap. 
Yeah, you don't, you don't see many people nowadays even do that. Like, you don't see the guy that's like, yeah, I'm going to pay my dues, I'm going to be the opening match, whether it be the tag team, the Intercontinental, or whatever the mid-card title. It was the Intercontinental back then. They didn't have a United States title. That was WCW. But you don't really see that often where it's the guy who paid his dues. He started from the bottom, made his way all the way up. Like we said, in this six-year span from seven all the way to 12. So, yeah. Dave, I really dig this mania. I, I, I really do. I mean, we can talk about the merits of the Iron Man match. I'm sure we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But just going up and down the upper card, the lower, the mid card, the undercard. I think that's what they call it in wrestling. You got to forgive me. Blame it on the alcohol. This was an entertaining and fun show, right? I, you know, it was. I, I think the the highlights of WrestleMania 12 are, are the backlot brawl between Roddy and Goldust, which definitely is a little bit too real for a lot of people's taste. You know, I mean, there's there's some real shit going on in that match that both guys were into. That's a fantastic. Uh, I think that is that Roddy's last WrestleMania match. I think probably um, that was really good. You've got, you know, Warriors return because I'm like you, Chris. I, I didn't pay any attention to WrestleMania 11, but once I heard Warrior was coming back for 12, oh shit, I got to get back and I got to watch this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, Warrior did all the Warrior stuff that you wanted. Um, Hunter, <laughs> you gotta love. You gotta love Hunter on this one for taking the uh, the loss the way he did with warriors on his chest and you know for what fucking purpose all that stuff was. Uh, I but it's it's a it's a good card. The match that steals a lot. I mean, uh, Sean Brett is the best match on the card, but you know that's obvious. But if you're talking undercard matches that were sneaky good, you mentioned it a little while ago. Diesel Undertaker is a tremendous match, and and and. The first time you really, I mean, like, well, I know, I know I've talked to PC Tunney about this before. This is where you see Undertaker's character start to evolve a little bit because up until then, he's just very stoic, plotting the dead man and really not challenged by too many guys. Okay, yeah, Hulk beat him because he threw the urn in his face and Giant Gonzalez, you know, attacked him from behind and chloroformed his ass. Yeah. <laughs> chloroformed his ass out of WrestleMania 9. But get the sheriff's where... get him out of there. This is where you actually see a guy with some athletic ability who could stand up there with Undertaker and really pushed him. And I thought Diesel might have might was going to win this match in a few places, but Taker's win over Diesel in, a, in probably Diesel's best match ever um, really kind of like, I mean, the streak wasn't really the streak at this point in time. You're looking at your what is he five and zero at this point? Five and zero. No, four and zero because he missed ten. Four because yeah, he missed ten. Yeah. He missed 10. Because so, of the orbital bone. Right. So the streak's not really the streak yet. But this was kind of like, I know the streak started with Snuka, but you could make the argument it really kind of started here. Because, yeah, he's undefeated up until then. But this is a big statement victory for Undertaker at this point. I think he – and and you see he goes from 12 to what we're going to talk about next week with 13 and, and on from there. This is the match I thought that when I look back at Undertaker's streak, I say that's where it really started. The stuff before that, especially when you look at like the bullshit with Giant Gonzalez, and you're like, "What the fuck was that?" Um, this was a statement win for Undertaker against a quality opponent, and and this match always, I I never feel like it gets enough love, 
just because of the way Diesel's looked at by some people. But this was a hell of a match. Um, I I dig. I mean, you got Stone Cold Steve Austin's first appearance. You know, where he beats Savio Vega. He's got DiBiase with him. Um, whether he was the ringmaster or Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, and indeed he was called that. Stone Cold Steve Austin during that was... match. At the beginning, you did not see his entrance, but when he was addressed to start that match by Vince McMahon himself on commentary, he was called Stone had, Cold Steve Austin. Had he done had he done the Austin 316 thing yet, or did that happen after? That no, happened that, after was June, that was June or July of that year. That, that was the King of the Ring in Milwaukee against Jake yeah. Roberts. So Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee. Which, right. shout out to Savio Vega as well, because that's a very unheralded feud in WWE, which was Stone Cold versus Savio. And even if you listen to Stone Cold, he credits Savio for his elevation and what that feud did for him and what he learned in that feud. And well, that was a damn good feud. It really was. Savi- I think it's unheralded at this Savio point. Savio Vega still putting motherfuckers over in Puerto Rico and, and taking care of business. So shout out to him. I mean... If you watch anything, oh, he's the rock over there. He's watch, literally the rock in yeah, Puerto Rico. You yeah, watch, he, he's still doing shit in Puerto Rico. He was doing stuff. I'm, I'm sorry, Tony, but he's still he's also doing stuff in MLW. Last I checked, where he was actually putting other people over there. So but he's, he's he's still there. Rock, he's rock levels over in Puerto Rico. That's how over he is over there. I, I was just pointing that out. But but no, but seriously, what Dave said, and, and Tony, I think you can agree, this Diesel Taker match, it was better than it had any right being. And, and you bring it back to when we talk about Macho and Warrior, and you put someone with potential that hasn't been reached yet with someone else that's one of the greatest of all time and, and, and put preparation in, and you're, you're going to get something. Like Macho Man, Sean, Take. These are three of the best at elevating who they're with. It's it's like any sports athlete that you want to think about. Michael Jordan, LeBron, Tom Brady, whoever, whatever sport it is. When you put someone in there that knows what's going on and is their goal is to elevate the product and not to get themselves over, and that gets them over every single time. And my personal favorite match on this card is the Hollywood backlot brawl. R.I.P. to the great Roddy Piper. Because they were laying their shit in, man. And you, if you've ever been into an actual fight in your life, you know what a real punch sounds like. And Roddy Piper was really punching gold dust to the point that he actually broke his hand. And after the taping of this, at the first part of the match, he had to go to the hospital because he had a broken hand. And if you listen closely, you can literally hear the moment when Roddy Piper breaks his hand. Because like I'm saying, if you've ever actually punched somebody in the face before, like for real, for real, you know what that sounds like. So you can hear the exact moment when Roddy breaks his hand. Yeah. And think about this match and in the story that they told, because you've got Goldust, who's very androgynous at this point in time. We're talking, we are now in 19, what is this, 1995? 1996. 1996. 1996. Talk about how, and he was the heel. Now, he now in heel. 2021, he'd be the face, but talk right. about how we'll in say, we'll say controversial. Yeah. Yeah. In 1996, so he's it, this androgynous character, and they're pushing that, they are pushing that homophobic button. And you look at who Roddy Piper is, and his character, a man's man, very masculine, a fighter. 
these are going to be combustible elements. And then you put that into a backlot brawl. And yeah, what Goldust is wearing underneath the outfit that gets exposed in the ring later on, this is some brilliant, beautiful storytelling where you've got just two polar opposites meeting in this whole thing and just a, a conflict of character and conscious that all meshes in this one match. So it's beautifully done because Roddy and Goldust at this point in time are just like, those are that those are two guys who are definitely going to get into a fight with each other. So they did that beautifully. And yeah, by modern standards, you look at it and say, wow, what the hell's the big deal about that? But yeah, 96, oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, Roddy is even talking about it throughout the whole feud, feud rather. I'm going to make a man out of this fruitcake. Like, yeah, he continued exactly. to say that. So, just real good, quick. Good luck saying the... that nowadays. Exactly, exactly. But just real quick around the horn, and Tony, we'll, talk, we'll start with you. Yes or no? Was Gold Dust, the character of Gold Dust, obviously Dusty Rhodes' son, Dustin, was that a rib on Dusty Rhodes? I never answer questions like this. Um, I would like to see Old Dust come back in AEW right now. That's going to be my answer to your question. So go ahead, move on. Dave. Was Gold Dust a rib on Dusty? Uh, I don't think so. I think Gold. I think Dustin wanted to do that character. He wanted. I don't know. I, I think I've read some stuff with Dustin where he's talked about how he wanted to do something really outlandish, and, and, and just do something that was so out of character for what was expected. You know, you're talking the natural Dustin Rhodes, what that character was like in WCW. To, you know, I, I mean, because everybody gets on on Vince about what he did. You made Dusty Rhodes wear polka dots, and Vince like he wanted to fucking do that. I didn't make him do anything. That was his idea. So I don't think it was a rib on Dusty. I think Vince, you know, it's a lot of these NWA, NWA guys, Chris. When they first came in, I don't think Vince really knew what he had with them. Later on down the line, Vince has tremendous respect for Ric Flair and vice versa. Tremendous respect for Dusty Rhodes and vice versa. So maybe a little element of that because we're talking 96, but I never really felt like it was a rib on Dusty. It was just Dustin trying to break out of his dad's shadow and 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 forge his own identity in the most extreme way possible. Well, Dave, you literally took the words out of my mouth. So, AJ, go ahead and wrap it up. I mean, to, I agree with everyone else where I don't think it was a rib on Dusty at all. I mean, Goldust, like Dave said, he wanted to make his own name. Like, he, he was willing to go as so far as to doing breast implants for this character to make it seem the way it seemed. There's a reason why that, you know, Dusty's the American dream, baby. We, we, we got the yeah, son of a plumber it, doing everything that he can. Funky like a funky like a monkey, baby. Yeah, fun, funky like a monkey. Cause, you know, his belly too big and all that, but he, he still got enough fight in him. To the shattered dream, Gold Dust, Dustin Rhodes, trying to make a name for himself, trying to shatter the perception of... I'm not my dad. I'm doing my own thing to make my name known in this company. You know, he doesn't have to have the Rhodes name to be something. He can actually do what he can, whatever he can to do this. So that's why he wanted to go as so far as doing the breast implants. He was very androgynous, as we say, where, you know, he has like the whole touching himself going and all that. Like he he'll Damn, actually that was, that was sexy, AJ. <laughs> I try, you know. So how you guys doing over there? 
you sound like you're jerking off. Don't do that again. So the main event <laughs> sees the coronation of Shawn Michaels finally becoming a top guy. Now, gentlemen, I have to admit, when I was a kid, I enjoyed Iron Man matches much more, and it's probably because I was a child and I really didn't have shit else to do. So, hey, you guys want to wrestle for an hour? Fuck it. I'm here for it. This match, it's good, not great. I will say this, though, Dave. I feel as if around the 40, it, it starts off super slow, which is understandable. They're wrestling for an hour. But around the 40-minute mark, I feel like it really kicks up and kicks into high gear. So from about the 40-minute mark, give or take a minute, through the overtime finish, yeah, I'm all in. And you mean 40 minutes in, right? But yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the 40 minutes into the match. If if that wasn't clear, I, I beg your pardon. Thank you, Tony. See, I I would have to disagree with you slightly. I think this is a great match. I think it's one of the all-time great matches in WrestleMania history. Um, it is from the standpoint of what's going on in the ring, and and the fact that yeah, it is slow in some places. But from a performance standpoint, when you kind of look at what's going on with um. With with Sean and, and Brett, where they map this match out, and, and you watch the interviews or, or listen to anything these guys have said, especially Brett, we're saying we mapped this whole thing out. We hit every mark that we set out for ourselves. At this point in the match that you're talking, Chris, they get to the 40 minute mark. Brett has said he was like, "Holy shit, we've actually pulled it off." Because the last 20 minutes, they were like, "Okay, we know exactly what we want to do, but we want to get to that point. We want to create some drama. We want to do some spots. We don't want to exhaust each other." And for them to do that, to go 40 minutes like that, and to get to that point with nothing going wrong, and to set it all up like they did, is is a testament to just what a great performance these two guys put in. The last 20 minutes are fantastic. The end is great. Um, and, and if there's anything bad about it, it did set this precedent for sudden death in Iron Man matches. Because... You know, this is where you have a zero-zero tie, and Brett thinks he's retained the title because I've got this bitch locked in the sharpshooter. When time runs out, he's gonna tap. They ring the bell. If you're gonna tell me a sudden death overtime, we're gonna just hold the fucking hold until he tapped out. But is, Gorilla Monsoon, President Monsoon. Can before you get to that, the, before you get to ahead. that, can I just can I just ask you a question? And and shouldn't this have restarted with him in the sharpshooter then? <laughs> You know they could have done that, but that, that would have just looked wonky as fuck. No, but I, you but, know what I mean from like a from like a, a storytelling perspective. You you're, you're like man, he kind of got I screwed. Mean, this is this is the thing about Iron Man matches that I don't agree with. That if you're gonna have if if a one hour time limit is really not a time limit. If there's a tie, and we're just gonna have sudden death overtime, then don't end it like that. Let the clock keep running. Okay, we're at an hour. Next fall wins. Next decision wins this thing that would make more sense. I understand why they did it this way, but it created it because it created controversy. And then right. you get gorilla coming out, restart the match. Sean it, hits the super kick twice and it that's kept, it. It's, it's the beginning of keeping people clean. Maybe it, it was. And, and, and on top of that, you also have to remember that we're evolving in from where we were at WrestleMania six with Hulk versus warrior face versus face. You still don't get too many of those matches except here where you've got Brett and Sean. They're both baby faces. They're both fighting for supremacy. The end was was good because it did, it, it gave Brett an out. 
you know, and it created anticipation for a rematch that we're not going to get for a few years, actually. And then, of course, the, when we do get the rematch, it's a screw job. But so they did a good job in that respect. I love the match. I think it's one of the top 10 WrestleMania matches of all time. Yes, I agree with you, Chris. It's not enthralling the whole, whole way through, nor should it have been. But when you look at it from a performance standpoint, what these guys did in that kind of moment with that kind of pressure to pull that off, nobody fucks up. Everything goes according to plan. That's a phenomenal, to steal AJ's nickname, a phenomenal performance. Touche. And it's interesting seeing the, like I talked about at the beginning, this is called a bookend, gentlemen, in the business. Seeing where we come from, starting at 7, where we're still having the the big, hoked up, pun intended, larger-than-life cartoon characters, to where we end in this block in WrestleMania 12, where the WWF is going more towards a smaller, more athletic, fast-paced, and more match-driven and match-quality-driven. It's it's an interesting evolution from where we started to where we get at WrestleMania 12. So we're going to wrap this up with some Platts facts and but before we do that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Mania Madness on TheChairShot.com. From Christopher Platt to Christopher Platt. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Folks, thanks again for listening in. Thanks for every part of your listenership on the Chairshot Radio Network. Before we keep going here, head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the Chairshot. Pick up a Chairshot t-shirt. Makes a great gift as well. And then head on over to TheChairshot.com. Sports, entertainment, and sports entertainment. We got you covered. Always use your head. Gentlemen. This is just live commercials from PC Tony. Yeah, How do you do, like that? I do what I can. I do what I can. I'm a big fan of SNL. I mean, I'm sure you guys are as well. I thought well. you were going to say you're a big fan of, of SNM, but I'm glad you switched that up on it. See what happens when you leave the room, Chris? You leave the inmates running the asylum and it's all over. Well, they Don't didn't know I'd left to go take a piss until you told them, David. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, folks, Christopher Platt pisses in 30 seconds. That's remarkable. It, thank you, sir. I, I guess that's a compliment. But let's go on and get to Platt's it, facts here and wrap this up. So Platt's facts, as you know, just some little odds and ends concerning these manias that you may have known about and you may not have known about. Who knows? We'll figure it out, right? So, gentlemen. WrestleMania 7, Bob Costas was actually scheduled to do a skit on that show with Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, R.I.P., but he was so turned off and disgusted by the uh, Iraqi war storyline that he backed out of the whole deal at the last minute, which, if you fast forward a little bit in WWF lore, that might explain the, should we say, contentious confrontation between Vince McMahon and Bob Costas later on in the decade? I actually watched some of that the other day. That handshake that Vince gives Bob at the end. I'm sure Vince was trying to break his fucking hand there. 
You're probably right. <laughs> so, on another Platts facts. Early on, one thing that we didn't talk about come WrestleMania 9, WrestleMania 9 was the first and only appearance of the Steiner brothers at a WrestleMania. And early on, before they appeared as a tag team, it was discussed backstage and, and seriously politic to have Scott Steiner come in when the Royal Rumble that year, main event WrestleMania 9, and ultimately even win the title to create a new top star. Obviously, it didn't go down like that. Vince didn't see it. I don't think he was enamored with Scott's height. He's a big guy, but he's not the tallest guy in the world. So I think that's why Vince nixed it, ultimately. Holler if you hear that. Yeah, hey. I don't think Vince saw him as big Papa Pump material yet. That's for sure. Well, well, this he's... was way before he started juicing. I mean, maybe he wasn't, you know, he was fully comfortable. But, but, but not to the point where he had muscles well, on muscles. On you mean muscles. implants? He, was, he wasn't he implanting was a... yet. He didn't have implants yet. Maybe he but maybe he should have yeah, showed right, some math skills. Right, he should have right, showed some if... math skills back then. <laughs> but even if you look at him at WrestleMania 9, he's pretty jacked. He is. He's a he's one of these unfortunate cases because he had the wrestling ability, but he didn't have the mic work. And then when he finally had the mic work and the persona and the character, which, Dave, you can attest to this. He was basically just Superstar Billy Graham 3.0 because Hogan was Superstar 2.0. He was Superstar Billy Graham 3.0. But by the time he got that persona, his body had started to fail him. So it, it just sucks that he didn't have them both simultaneously, the, the mic and the ring. Tony, right. did you want to say something? And and Hulk never tried to teach us math, so that was a big boon for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, just shout out to Steiner Math. <laughs> oh, God. Just eat your prayers and say your vitamins. That's all. And divide by thirty three and two thirds, uh, or something like that. To to, to, to throw uh, some Platts facts into some trivia trickery, you know what's worse is the the negative into like the, the eight and two thirds chance. If you actually use the the statistics. Of how to do that, pretty damn close to eight and two thirds chances of winning. It's like eight and like a, a random. I think it's like eight and like an ongoing decimal point. What are you? But he's about? actually damn close with his stupid <laughs> freaking subtracting thirty three and two thirds right. minus yep. twenty five. Next plan fact. Yeah, I, I think we need to switch AJ's name to AJ Prime Integer Belaz. Yeah, wow. boom. There we go. Uh, I'm fine with that. Where's the gavel? That's great. So we talked about WrestleMania 9 and Hogan's gnarly black eye because that Mellon Farmer was super gnarly. It was like, God damn, it looked like he got poked in the eye with a popsicle stick. That's how There's ugly it was. under there still. So I know we had heard a lot of different, we'll say, uh, I don't even know what to say, but we heard a lot of different reasons as to why that happened. Obviously, kayfabe, they said Money Inc. paid somebody off to rough them up outside the gym, whatever. I, I know y'all brought up something else earlier. So the official story, and this is what I'm sticking to because it's a Platts fact, was that Macho Man Randy Savage was upset with Hogan. So while Macho was on the road, him and Miss Elizabeth were kind of on the rocks at this particular point in time and heading towards a divorce. She left the house and went to go stay at the Hogan's. And Macho Man was pissed off because it's like, Hogan, you're supposed to be my man, but you're not telling me where my woman's at, where my wife's at. 
So he was upset and punched Hogan in the face. Plus, if you if we fast forward a few years and see that Hogan was got caught up on tape banging his best friend's wife, ain't no telling what the Hogans were into at that particular point in time. So I could see why Macho might have been a little upset that his wife was chilling with the Hogans. Ooh, you got lust in your eyes for Elizabeth. I got more than lust, brother. I got that ass. No, no, no. Let me tell you something, brother. Miss Elizabeth is a lady. But, you know, she wanted to eat some vitamins and say some prayers to the Hulkamania, you know? Ooh, yeah, brother. All right, so here's the real deal, and we can move on after this. Uh, yes, Linda and Liz were very, very close, and Linda was definitely used as a refuge by Elizabeth, and shout out to the dark side of the ring part of the game. But I highly doubt that Randy Savage would be able to cause that amount of damage to Hulk Hogan, especially considering that I think their relationship wasn't as tumultuous as people would like to believe. Yeah, you're wrong, because I've heard this story from people that are actually in the industry. But moving right along. So, Mabel. Shut I love down. Sonny, But Mabel from Men on a Mission was the first wrestler in the history of WrestleManias to appear and perform at a WrestleMania that was born in the 1970s. So Mabel was 23 years old when he made his WrestleMania debut at WrestleMania 10 as Men on a Mission faced the Quebecers. Well, I thought it was interesting. Fuck all you guys. Speaking no, of, it, 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 it is, is interesting. But I mean, we got a Quebecers mention on this show, so that's that's something. Now, speaking of men on a mission, if you look in the crowd at WrestleMania night where you were at, Dave, Oscar from Men on a Mission, he's actually right there in the front row, and you can see him on WrestleMania night. So, how the legend goes. Oscar actually ran into Vince McMahon and Macho Man at a casino in Vegas following WrestleMania 9, kicked a freestyle rap for Vince, and lied and said that he rapped with Frank Sinatra. I don't know what he possibly said in that freestyle, because we all know Oscar is no Jay-Z. We can all see that. But whatever he kicked in that freestyle, it impressed Vince so much that he gave him his number and told him to hit him up Monday morning. And that's how Oscar got a job with the WWF, and ultimately it led to the Men in the Mission gimmick. Frank Sinatra rapping. Something just doesn't sound right about that sentence, does it? As a Frank Mark, not at all. <laughs> Can you imagine my way actually being, like, actually have a beat and it's all hip hoppy instead? Or Luck Be a Lady being a rap song? <laughs> hmm. Oh, God. So a little bit of housekeeping as well, because I made the mistake last week. I said that the that WrestleMania one was the only WrestleMania that actually where they performed the Star Spangled Banner as opposed to America the Beautiful. I was wrong. I do apologize. The Star Spangled Banner was also sang at WrestleMania eight by the legendary Reba McIntyre. So I do apologize for that. But little housekeeping. I had to throw that out there. Speaking of eight, Party Janetti, our good friend, he was actually scheduled to meet Shawn Michaels because if you remember, they set up the Rockers breakup 
and he threw him through the plate glass window on the barbershop and this and that. That was supposed to be the match that year, but Party got into a little bit of trouble, as Party is prone to do. So the way the story goes, he was hanging out at a bar with an underage girl. Now, he swears he didn't know the girl was underage. She did have a fake ID. Somebody spotted the fake ID. Hold on, hold on. He, he Somebody spotted the fake ID, tried to kick her out. The cops came. He assaulted a cop, went to jail, and ultimately he was not long for that WWF life shortly after that. Talk about fumbling the bag. No, I, I see what you're saying, Tony. I'm, we're not going there. <laughs> so, Owen Hart, if you guys will recall, he challenged for the tag titles and his partner, his mystery partner, ended up being Yokozuna, and they ended up winning the tag titles that year. Allegedly, he who shall not be named... Who was already and, named. Who was already named. Was yeah, considered was considered for that role. And so, obviously, it didn't work out. But so much so, he actually did a few dark matches in WWF in June of that year with Ted DiBiase as his manager. Ultimately, they passed on him, and he ended up going to WCW, and as they say, the rest is history, right? Yeah, another potentially bad move by Vince to let him go to WCW. Yes, yes. So what else do we have here? Okay, so Vince McMahon during the backlot Hollywood brawl between Piper and Goldust. And I know, Dave, you brought up another interpretation of this story by... Was it you? No, it was Never mind. It wasn't you. I, I pray Tony edits that part out. But uh, according to Roddy Piper's autobiography, you remember the part, Dave, when Roddy got ran over by the pink by the gold Cadillac, right? I do, and I mean, goddamn, we've talked about this so many times. You could be getting this information from anywhere. So, mm-hmm. so uh, according to Roddy Piper's autobiography, he says the reason that he took that bump, i.e., getting ran over by a, a gold Cadillac, was as a favor to Vince McMahon because at the time that they were filming this segment, Vince was actually watching his son. So, okay, take that for what it's worth. Oh, He's Vince was right. watching Roddy's son. Yes. Ah, okay. I was like, Shane was involved in this? I mean, Shane's been involved in every fucking WrestleMania known to man, so yeah. one coming up, so why not? But Oh, he was watching Roddy's son. Okay. Got yes. You. And uh, uh, speaking of that Hollywood backlot brawl, allegedly the original idea on the table that year was for the WWF to bring in O.J. Simpson to fight Roddy Piper. And ultimately, Roddy would have just beat the shit out of O.J., you know? I guess you could call it retribution, whatever you want to call it. OJ's people turned it down, but you could see in in the mania they kind of well we you saw it if you saw mania twelve you know what I'm talking about you you saw the uh, what's a good word for him? the footage, uh, the footage they, with the bro- yeah. with the Bronco we'll say for yeah, the, the, the yeah yeah I was about to say we, we weren't gonna get retribution until 24 years after that what the heck are you talking about <laughs> so WrestleMania twelve also led to the debut of Mark Merrill, who was formerly Johnny B. Bad in WCW. Apparently, Vince was completely enamored with the Johnny B. Bad character, thought he could make some money off of it. Mark Merrill lied and said that he had the, that Johnny B. Bad was his intellectual property. 
of course, when he finally signed with WWF, he said, uh, yeah, actually, that character is owned by WCW, so we got to figure some other shit out. But a, a bonus Platts facts. Up until about 2007 or eight, I thought Mark Merrow was black. He's not. No, he, he he's he's a he's a brethren, Dave. I, I believe he's a he's a Jewish brother. But up until Shit. about 2007 or eight, I thought the guy was black. Dude, up until today, I thought the only thing he ever did that was significant was Mary Sable. Oh, come on, man. You didn't like the Johnny B. Bad character? I did. Yeah, come on, man. I was just messing around. But, you know, I'm a black wrestling fan, man, so I be claiming all types of melon farmers that I don't even know if they're black. To this day, rest his soul, I still don't know about Doug Furness. I still claim Doug Furness. (laughs) Do you ever think about how the Asians felt when Tiger Woods got drafted? Jesus Christ. I don't. And they don't care how I felt about uh, Mark Miro not being black. So we 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 on the same. Yeah. yeah. How do you think Brock Lesnar feels about Mark Miro? Anyway, let's move on. What you care about, man? <laughs> you know. Well, you care about that. What else we got? Oh, okay. So Jimmy Hart through the first nine manias holds the record. Because he came to the ring as manager 17 different times during the first nine WrestleManias. They call them the That's Colonel. amazing when you think about, yeah, when you think about Bobby Heenan, you think about Slick, you think about, well, Fuji not. Well, yeah, Fuji was there quite a bit, too. Heenan was more on the announcing side, too, though. Yeah. He, he didn't have the Heenan family that much, but, you know, Mouth of the South always had his way of going into yeah, the I mean, into the Heenan family was heavily involved in uh, their win-loss record. AEW would put that shit up front and center. Three and 30. Shit, that's not very good. No, it's not, but we're here now. So we're going to, just real quick, MVPs of Manias 7 through 12. And I'm going to give you guys the nominees. You can say what you think, and we're also going to go to our Twitter poll as well as soon as I pull it up. But I got to keep talking before I can actually pull it up. I got it. Okay, cool. So I can just name the MVPs and then we'll get to what the fans voted for. Okay, cool. You you can say yes. It's okay to talk, sir. Say words. <laughs> or you could just go. Oh, no. Or you could just stop go. Using, like, stop we using could just, your inside voice, Tony. We could just start. You could just, come, you know, skip that bullshit and start talking. I was clearly having some issues if you couldn't tell, man. You're supposed to cover that shit up, producer. Produce. I, I think people are enjoying this more so. You're probably right. <laughs> so, okay, number Maybe. one. Brett the Hitman Hart. I mean, that's self-explanatory. He had the great match versus Roddy Piper at eight. Main events, nine, ten, and twelve. Just, this is kind of his coming out party. This whole block of WrestleManias. In the same token, you got to throw Shawn Michaels up there as well. He was the curtain jerker at the first three, but got good matches out of Tontana. Tanaka. Tontana. Tatanka. Tatanka and Tito Santana. Thank you. And then, of course, the great match versus Diesel, the uh, iconic ladder match, and then his culmination at WrestleMania 12. 
Yokozuna, guy I don't think gets enough love. I, I talked about it earlier because he is the bridge between Hokomania and the new generation and celebrities at WrestleMania. You know, I know Tunney kind of rolls his eyes at that, but, I mean, we had Lawrence Taylor, main event WrestleMania. We've had the likes of Regis Philman, Marla Maples, Donald Trump, Alex Trebek, Macaulay Culkin, Chuck Norris, Lou Ferrigno, Jonathan Taylor Thomas when he was still a thing, Pam Anderson, Jenny McCarthy, and for my money, Little Richard at WrestleMania 10. That is the best, the single best rendition of America the Beautiful that WWE has ever done. Little Richard went out and said, I'm the pioneer, I'm the innovator, and I'm going to prove it to you right here at this performance. Go back and watch that. If you don't watch anything else from WrestleMania 10, go back and watch Little Richard's performance of America the Beautiful and tell me it ain't the best that they've ever produced. Point blank, period. So then go watch Little Richard in Mystery Alaska. That's fantastic as well. So, Tunny, man, we, we put the poll up on Twitter. What say the Twitterverse? Well, Who did Bret, they vote for as the MVP? Bret Hart won by a landslide, doubled up Shawn Michaels. There was a couple votes for Yokozuna, and then you, Amber, and your friend voted for celebrities. So that's kind of how that broke down. <laughs> I so uh, so, so no, no, to hold, hold, actually hold, give hold, the hey. numbers, uh, I'll hold, be hold, nice, hold. hashtag journalism, uh, 58% I, I, it, Bret Hart. 29 Shawn Michaels, 3% Yoko, and 10% the celebrity. I'm pretty sure that's exactly I mean, what I just said as far as the poll is concerned. I'm giving the numbers. I'm give, I'm being nice. Yes, Relax, Brett won by a landslide, I'm just... doubled up Shawn Michaels, Yoko came in last with barely any votes, and Chris Kreba and their friend voted for celebrities. That's exactly what I just said. So, number one, AJ, thank you for actually breaking down the percentages. And, Tony... I resent the allegation that I somehow, some way, rigged this poll. I resent those allegations. And I vehemently deny any shenanigans and the insinuation that somehow, some way, this vote was rigged. All I know is the hounds of justice have spoken behind you as you started to lie. I, I, mean, I heard them. I heard the hounds of justice. Try to be I heard the Hounds I mean, of Justice. If you did try to rig it. It doesn't matter because even if you did just vote celebrities, celebrities still lost. They were still in third. Fair enough, but I didn't rig this. So anybody, does anybody, who's the MVP here? And does anybody have anybody other than Bret Hart? No. Nobody does. Nobody that matters. Yeah, I think we all voted gotta, Bret. Gotta be, gotta be Bret. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so as we're wrapping this up... Sean was great, too, but it's got to be Brett. I I agree with you. So as we're wrapping this up, thank you guys for coming on. I'm going to start with, uh, I guess, age before beauty. So, Mr. A.J. Belaz, why don't you let the good folks know where they can find you, sir? Well, you can find me on the Twitter, at PhenomenalAJB, AJB in all caps. You can find me on thechairshot.com doing reviews on video games for good old DPP on the DWI podcast with me and PCT over there, PC Tunny. And you can find me doing reviews and whatnot. I'm usually the NWA guy. I know NWA has a little going on next week, along with WWE Fastlane, which, yeah, you're going to see a doubleheader by me on March 21st. Consigliere, Mr. Ungar. 
why don't you let everybody know what you got going on, sir? Yeah, you know, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Make sure you send all your hate tweets to at Wrestling Realist. He'll appreciate it. That's hilarious. Platt Whisperer, Mr. Tunney, where can they find you, sir, and everything you have going on like seven days a week on the chair shot? Find me at PC Tunney. Please continue to listen to Chairshot Radio Network. We appreciate all of your listenership, and we're just trying to give you the best we can. And I hope folks understand that we're, we're trying to create some great content here with a little bit of WrestleMania history uh, and anthology. I couldn't have said it better myself. You guys can find me on Twitter at the Real C Platt. But more importantly, if you appreciate the content we provide day in and day out here at the Chairshot, please do us a favor. I implore you. I insist upon you. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. You flip through the browser, you're gonna find something you like and actually won't mind wearing outside in public whenever we're allowed to go out in public again. I'd guarantee it. Again, pro wrestling tees forward slash the chair shot. Please and thank you, thank you, and please, the chairshot.com. We are not just a website, we are a movement, folks. Hey, I want to thank Big Dave Ungar for coming on. I want to thank AJ Belaz. I don't have to thank Tunney because he's attached to my hip. But uh, thank you guys for listening to Volume 2 of Mania Madness. We'll be back next week. We'll see you same plat time, same plat channel, where we'll be discussing WrestleMania's 13 through 18. Until then, have a great weekend, folks. Shalom. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.